CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, April 23rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasova, will join us, and we welcome, for the first time in our brand new studio, the Illinois political know-it-alls. Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelski. And now your host. Man, he's been in the studio maybe a little too much. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Tell the Truth Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. Do you have a good weekend, D? Yeah, I mean, it was two days ago. <laughs> Man, I, I knew you were going to say That's the question you asked on Monday. <laughs> you know, can I just tell you? I asked, I think I did ask you that question on Monday. Yeah. Uh, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, you knew my answer. It was uh, fine. I had a great weekend. Can I just tell you, I saw First Man. I urge everybody to run, run, run to go see it. Of course, it's been. A, it's no longer the theater, so you really just run, run, running to like watch it on the download or whatever you guys call it. Anyway, streaming, that's what you call it. Trippy. Uh, movie Whoa. about the first man to go to the moon. Whoa, it reminded me of Dark Side of the Moon. You ever hear Dark Side of the Moon? Oh, hell yeah. Up, up, 
up and down. down. Pink Floyd, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Anyway, then I spent the better part of Sunday watching YouTube clips of Trailer Park Boys, which is You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Folks, don't let this get around. I love Trailer Park Boys a little too much. Okay, let me just say that. I talk about it obsessively. My wife's like, stop talking about Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> uh, but you should see what J-Rock did. Anyway. Woke up this morning, got down to business, all right? Read the newspaper. Did you read the newspaper, D? I read the newspaper. I mean, online. <laughs> Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, home delivered as always. What do I see? An article that had me jumping for joy. Yes. An article, my beloved bright one from Rocky Words, had me jumping for joy. And it said to me, it made me think, at last, someone gets it. All right, let me explain, D. Rocky Words is the owner of the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks are a hockey team here in the city of Chicago. And I know I'm banned from talking about sports. So all I'll say is, here come the Hawks, the fighting Blackhawks. Anyway, politically speaking, I have next to nothing in common with Rocky Words who is the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks. My guess is he is of the Republican persuasion, and I am a definitely of the Harold Washington FDR Democratic persuasion, all right? So I die, we don't have much on politics. Plus, you know, D, I got to tell you this, I'm still, I haven't quite forgiven the Blackhawks for running Bobby Hall out of town. I realize it was 1971, that was almost 50 years ago, but he was the Golden Jet, the greatest Blackhawk of all this time. This guy can hold a grudge with the best of them. <laughs> By the way, there's a picture, I don't know if you saw it, on the wall of, of Bobby Hall. Every day I come into the, the studio here, I see a picture of Bobby. Anyway, focus, Ben, focus. <laughs> there's something that Rocky Wirtz and I see eye to eye on, and that is... Drum roll, please. <laughs> Mayor Rahm. Yes, indeed. The Chicago Sun-Times got a hold of a top-secret memo that Wirtz wrote to Lori Lightfoot explaining why, sh what she should do differently to win over the business community. And guess what's at the top of the list of what she should do differently, D? Don't be like Mayor Rahm. That seems like what I always yeah. advise her. Don't Look, whatever you do, don't be like Mayor Rahm, all right? Now, let's take a little deep dive in this. Hey, D. What's that thing you always say uh, before you read a quote from Mayor Rahm? Oh, uh, yeah, Mayor Rahm. He's smart. You're not. Yeah, that's the one. Well, apparently, Rocky Wirtz, owner of the Blackhawks, has a similar feeling whenever he hears anything that Mayor Rahm says. And he wrote in his email, which the Sun-Times somehow or other obtained, and I am now going to read to you. <clears throat> Confidence, trust, and transparency need to be restored. We need candid, open dialogue about both short and long-term goals for our city. We need to be on the same page and moving in the same direction. All right, folks, here's the deal. Here's what I say about Mayor Rahm. This is the thing that really irritates me. It pays to be open about what you're up to. Don't patronize don't tell us something that we know is blatantly false and say it's true it's like you're assuming that we're too dumb to understand the difference to quote ordell robbie from jackie brown one of the greatest movies of all time i'll now quote him my ass may be dumb but i ain't no dumb ass all right <laughs> that's a great quote can we get that on a t-shirt all right my ass may be dumb, but I ain't no dumb ass. By, by the way, for 10 trivia points, 
What actor played the role of Ordell Robbie in Jackie Brown, Dennis? Ice Cube. <laughs> Miles, do you know? Uh, Samuel Jackson. My man. All right. You have a certain father who raised you the right way, boy. <laughs> what are you saying about my dad? Your dad didn't show you Jackie Brown ex- oh, cool. over and All over right, again. Yeah. Okay, there's a right way and a wrong way to raise a kid. You, at a very early age, you take the kid, you sit him down, and you go, we're watching Jackie Brown, and then we're going to watch it ten times. Keith Cap Porter, good job with this kid. <laughs> All right, anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, my ass may be dumb, but I ain't no dumb ass. So Mayor Rahm or Mayor Lightfoot or any mayor, if you want to raise taxes to, like, let's just say, oh, finance your little TIF deal in Lincoln Yards, tell us why you have to raise the taxes. Admit that's what you're actually doing. But don't raise taxes and say, oh, we're not really raising taxes, and then celebrate when you get to raise those taxes because you think you got one away off on us because we're too dumb to know the difference. I agree with Rocky Wirtz. Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot, it's time to tell the truth. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed, Maya will be here in this very studio, sitting in that very chair, talking all kinds of political everything, okay? Aldermanic prerogative, aldermanic... You may get some Pete Buttigieg discussion (laughs) in, all right? So she's got a lot on her plate, and then, of course, everybody clear out. Because the know-it-alls are making their return. They're rock stars in the political world. Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pokoshelsky will be. They are smart and you're not, but in a good way. <laughs> not like a Mayor Rahm way. No, they're, they're, no, totally not. And by the way, they're complete, utter, and un, unabashed, unapologetic political geeks, as am I. We are really going to do the deep geekdom dot. By the way, there's a building on the road, oh. just on the road from us. It's I see it every day when I come in from the train. Nerdology. Have you seen that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say, oh, that's where you're going this weekend, Ben. <laughs> no, I'm way too cool. I spent my weekend watching Trailer Park Boys. All right. Anyway. You're welcome. Plenty of political discussion ahead, but before we do any of that, Oh, the doctor has the news. Hey, guys, I'm Dennis. Live streamers, where are you at? We got Bruce. What? No, Bruce Bruce is not on the live chat. You okay, Bruce Bruce? We got Anthony, Stephen, Fidel. Hey, jump on that live stream. Oh, Here we go. Hold oh. on. Oh, there That's we the go. That's the sound of me jumping aboard. And hey, Stephen, come on, buddy. It says he put impeach Dennis. <laughs> Come on, dude. Impeach or peach? Impeach. Oh, come on. No, I didn't know. <laughs> What's up with that? All right, it's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. No collusion, no obstruction. Trump's perfect. Mueller's an idiot. Nothing to see here, people. That's the message our friends over in D.C. at the Donald Trump administration are still trying to fool us into believing. Ben, how's that plan working on you so far? Not working too well. Really? Because you know why, D? What's that? My ass may be dumb, but I ain't no dumbass. Well, you can say that a million times over. Uh, so as we wait for the other shoe to drop on that one, let's talk about those presidential candidate town halls last night. Whoa. <laughs> but don't worry, not all of them. Okay, guys? How many of them were there? Five. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Not one, but holy crap, five CNN town halls featuring our 2020 Democratic presidential candidates. Yeah, who needs back-to-back playoff basketball or hockey games when you got back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back <laughs> town halls? Uh, I love town halls. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, the last time we covered a Democratic candidate town hall, it felt like we were in the twilight zone because it was Bernie Sanders on Fox News. Yeah, that's right. $27. Oh, 10%. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, back to reality. Yeah. Yeah, these were all on CNN. Mm -hmm. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. <laughs> Just Shake your Buttigieg. Keep calling him that. Senator uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Senator Bernie Sanders, and Senator Elizabeth Warren all participated at a college town hall event from New Hampshire. And since we've covered Senators Warren and Sanders on this program extensively, Let's talk about the other three. We'll begin with the Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. She was asked a question by an audience member during her town hall last night. Let's listen up here. In 2010, you petitioned the USDA to keep frozen pizzas in school lunches, therefore allowing for the sauce to be counted as a vegetable in Ooh. order to support the business of Minnesota <laughs> Frozen Foods Company. Amid the obesity epidemic that has plagued this country for decades, to what extent do you believe that the financial interests of corporations in your home state should outweigh the health of America's next generation? Okay, well, that's a big question. Uh, Cheering for the question. Thank you. I don't get it. First of all, I made clear in a New York Times article a few years later when I was asked about that, that it was just a letter that I had sent. Um, we were in the middle of the downturn, and it was a little more, I would say, complex in her terms of the language, but it's a fair criticism. And so I said I regretted sending that letter. It was about uh, trying to keep a company afloat in a really small town uh, that employed a bunch of people. But I think that nutrition is paramount for this country, and that's why way before I was running for president, I said that that was a mistake, all right? So let's yeah, so actually let's uh, move on. <laughs> we'll check in with Klobuchar and Frozen Pizzagate later. <laughs> well, Big issues there. Well, no, let me just say this about that. I mean, there is I <laughs> even though it does sound funny to talk about frozen pizza in the middle. Uh, do you like deep dish or do you like thin crust? That's just like the fun question at the end. Okay, we're done with the geeky nerdy stuff. Uh, who's your favorite team, Cubs or White Sox? Do you believe in dibs? You know, that's what they always ask the mayoral candidates. What's your favorite song, Tony? <laughs> Tony Brown. Quickle man, what did she say? Uh, change is gonna come, makes me want to get up and anyway. Focus, Ben. Focus, yeah, come on, dude. Um, the reality is this it, it, it is a legitimate question. Uh, if you're willing to throw out the win window, the whole notion of uh, nutritional value being important, uh, in a lunch meal, uh, in order to save a relative handful of jobs in a factory in your home state, then that does speak a little at something about your worldview. And maybe, uh, you know, you were a little too parochial in your vision when you were a senator. Uh, at the same time, those jobs are exceedingly important. So I'd like to think that a senator uh, could find other ways to help keep a factory afloat than just sort of, you know, devaluing the whole the whole uh, nutritional system we have for cafeteria food. So I think it is a legitimate question, even if it, it sounds funny. Like I said, we'll get to frozen pizza gate later here. <laughs> Let's hear what the other two candidates that we haven't really featured on our program had to say. Up next, he's the 37-year-old South Bend, Indiana mayor. He's Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Shaker Buttigieg. <laughs> Anderson Cooper hosted the Pete Buttigieg town hall. And yes, he held Peter's feet to the heater. He asked Buttigieg about that giant gaping hole in his campaign that we're all slowly starting to notice by the way dude what are your policies <laughs> and where the hell are they where are they at brother your campaign website uh it's got a lot about who you are what you believe in it doesn't have 
anything specific about policy, like nothing. There's no policy section on it. Well, I think I've been pretty clear where I stand on the major issues. Uh, I think I led the field in opening up the debate about policy on structural reform for the Supreme Court, for example. Uh, I'd say I've been more specific than many in offering a pathway to get to a Medicare for all environment versus just saying we can make it happen. Uh, and there's a tool coming online shortly, if it's not there now, uh, that will make it possible to just enter a keyword and see, uh, visualize, you know, pull all the video on what I've said about that particular issue. But it's hard to compare where you stand to, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who was out here, even from your website, you, it's sort of like comparing, uh, I mean, it's not, you just can't compare the policy positions. So. <laughs> If, uh, well, some of that will come out tonight, uh, and I look forward to that. Again, okay. I think I've weighed in pretty specifically on a number of policy issues. Come on, Anders said he's got stuff coming up on his website <laughs> soon. Leave him alone. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to go look at that website. Uh, but th this is uh, th this is kind of a variation of what we heard uh, back in the governor's race. Remember when reporters are always badgering uh, Pritzker? What are your specifics about your uh, tax hike? <laughs> you know, your a fair tax. What are the rates going to be? I am not going to tell you. By the way, Maya has entered the building. Maya has entered the building. I always love when my guests come early. Anyway, so uh, yes, he's being a little vague, and Maya and I will be discussing Peter Shaker Buttigieg uh, a little later uh, on in the show because uh, he is both, he's what they call, what the millennials like to say, a triggering agent for uh, Maya and myself. But yes, he is a little, um, how do you put it, vague on what he intends to do, and that whole thing about a Medicare for all, uh, instead of just saying, I'm going to make it happen, I, I got to ramp up, dude, that's just your way of saying you're not going, you're going to uh, try to target the audience in the Democratic primary that doesn't want a, a full commitment to Medicare for all. And that's the market you're going at. That's the audience you're going at. So, uh, but that's because my sense of it, D, is that when someone says, I have a secret sauce to getting for Medicare for all, but it's not going to be Medicare for all, that generally means you're not going to get it. All right. Well, unlike Pete Buttigieg, our next candidate last night proved that she does, in fact, have policies. And stop me if you've heard this one from a candidate. She'll put them into action come hell or high water if elected. How about that, huh? It's California Senator Kamala Harris. Harris shared her plans on gun legislation in America during her town hall. You know what? You want to go hunting? That's fine. But we need reasonable gun safety laws in this country, starting with universal background checks and a renewal of the assault weapon ban. But they have failed to have the courage to act. So, Ben, here's my response to you. Upon you being elected... I will give the United States Congress 100 days to get their act together and have the courage to pass reasonable gun safety laws. And if they fail to do it, then I will take executive action. And specifically what I will do is put in place a requirement that for anyone who sells more than five guns a year, they are required to do background checks when they sell those guns. I will require that for any gun dealer that breaks the law, the ATF take their license. And by the way, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Well, the ATF has been doing a lot of the A and the T, but not much of the F. <laughs> and we need to fix that. And then... I like that line. Because <laughs> none of us have been sleeping over the last two years. Part of what has happened under the current administration is they took fugitives off the list of prohibited people. I put them back on the list, meaning that fugitives from justice should not be able to purchase a handgun or any kind of weapon. So that's what I do. 
you know what? I hate to say it. I'm feeling the Kamala. <laughs> I like that. It was a very specific uh, response to a question. Uh, it was the exact opposite. Uh, we heard from uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete getting an action. You know, D, I actually, oh, my God, this is really going to be geeky and nerdy. I love these uh, town halls. I love the, the fact that people are talking about these political issues. I feel as though the Democrats are in a position where the Republicans were four years ago. If you recall, all the action was on the Republican side. They were having town halls. That's when Donald Trump emerged as quite the character, and he captivated uh, the Republican Party for better or for worse. I would say worse. And uh, so I, I like the fact that Kamala Harris is being very specific about what she's doing with gun legislation. I realize she's appealing to a, a certain portion of the Democratic electorate, and that if she gets into a wide open race, uh, if she is the candidate, she's going to have to deal with the, the blowback from the National Rifle Association. I realize that's how politics plays out, but I do like the fact that she's being very specific and very concrete and defining how she is different than, let's say, a Donald Trump. And I like that in a Democratic candidate. So those were a few of the big moments from the town halls. Two more where that came from. Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, shout out to CNN for the audio. Oh, wait, almost forgot. Let's check back in and get that thrilling conclusion of Amy Klobuchar <laughs> and her frozen pizza controversy. Because what does that mean in the context of frozen that means pizza? This would be unpopular like, with this no, crowd. But he, they think frozen pizza is a food group <laughs> here. Okay. But do you think yeah. it should be allowed in school lunches? Uh, it is. It is. I'm not sure what the status of it is right now. If this was about how it was counted. Like, well, was it you, counted as a vegetable? No, I didn't think that frozen pizza with, with tomato sauce on it, I do not believe, should be counted as a vegetable. Let let me make that clear, but no, I, I talk it. about but should it be in lunches? It, I, I, I think that it is sometimes in lunches. I'm not. I'm just. I want to know what but the USDA says. As long as you have other things with it, right? As long as you have real vegetables with it, and as long as you have other things with it. Tackling the tough issues. All right. That eat your vegetables, kiddies. None of that frozen pizza until you eat those peas, okay? No, man, who was the who was the guy asking the question? Uh, it's that one guy from CNN. Uh, Cuomo, maybe? <laughs> oh, Cuomo. What's the D's barking? It reminds me of trying to pin down one of the mayoral candidates on Lincoln Yards. Are you for it? Well, Ben, you know, did I ever tell you about the time I went hunting? You know, they always like to duck and dodge. Anyway, Amy, come on. Be clear. No, frozen pizza does not constitute a vegetable. Oh, and apparently Elizabeth Warren did a, a fantastic job at these town halls last night. I'll try and find audio. Yeah, no, Elizabeth Warren on. is for real. She's got some very specific, concrete ideas. She's advancing them. She's not running away from them. And uh, I think it's healthy. I think Elizabeth Warren, whether she wins or loses, is fortifying the Democratic Party with legitimate ideas that the rank and file will, will uh, be attracted to. So kudos to Elizabeth Warren. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Ben, we're moving on here. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon? I was born ready. Fantastic answer. Love that answer, because coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what else is news. Cannot wait, because it's that moment of the day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago. Land cremation options dot com. 
saying, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, I'll take it away and give it right back to you. What's the local news, young man? We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. And today we're stepping away from the city of Chicago. That's right. We have some state news to discuss this afternoon. And Ben, I hope you brought your A-game, buddy, because today we're about to give the governor his first 100-day <laughs> performance review. Okay, Governor Pritzker. Pretty cool, right? J.B. But first, Ben, you opened up with it. Anything else you'd like to add about that transition memo to Mayor-elect Lightfoot from Chicago Blackhawks? Oh, yeah. Uh, I agree with him 100% about uh, the need for uh, Mayor Lightfoot or any mayor to be honest and open and not try to bamboozle us and tell us, A, really knowing it's B. Uh, It's one of my pet peeves uh, in regards to the TIF program where they try to tell you it's not a tax hike, even though we uh, it is a tax hike. So it's very hard to have any kind of honest discussion about the policies a mayor is putting forth if that mayor is not being honest in what he or she is putting forth. So at the very least, I would hope that mayor like Lori Lightfoot would follow up with Rocky Wirtz and be honest and not try to fool us the way Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley did. And I'll say this about that. We may come to a situation where Rocky Wirtz and I disagree because, like I said, he's more of the Republican persuasion and I'm more of the Harold Washington FDR persuasion. But I can deal with disagreement so long as it's an honest discussion and an honest debate. So, yes, come on, Mayor Rahm. Uh, well, not Mayor Rahm anymore. He's out the door. Come on, Lori Lightfoot. Be honest and open. Come on, both of you guys. huh? How about that? All right. Now, <laughs> my how time flies today. Tuesday, April 23rd marks the 100th wow. day since our Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker took office. Happy 100, J.B. I'm J.B. Pritzker, and I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> Shout out to the Illinois political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and Juan Shia Capos. She talked with the governor about this modest milestone on Monday. And like we said, with the help of uh, her hard work, we're going to give J.B. Pritzker his Ben Jarofsky show 100-day gubernatorial performance review. Don't look too excited. Oh, come on, man. I'm pumped to give out grades. Now, the governor did make the news today. So before our review, let's go over this. And, J.B., this will be going on your file. That's all I'm saying. In your file. All right. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Spondellas. Democrats across the country may be split about whether Donald Trump should be impeached following the release of the Mueller report, but Governor J.B. Pritzker on Monday said he has seen nothing to change his mind. Here's the quote from Pritzker Monday. Impeachment or no impeachment, quote, well, I was right two years ago, and when I called for his impeachment, and I'm right today, I'm sticking by that. I'm with you 100%, J.B. Impeach him. Get it going. Uh-huh. I mean, that guy clearly, clearly, clearly was obstructing justice. And yes, absolutely, they were colluding with the Russians. So stop pretending stuff. Again, it's like the TIFFs. Stop pretending it's A when it's B. Yes, oh, impeachment. Sounds like someone may be getting a good performance review. <laughs> Just saying. Well, that's an easy one, all right? Prit- Pritzker then said, quote, I think that the Mueller report is a sad statement about the current state of the presidency under this president and that he'll work hard to defeat his pres- uh, he'll defeat this president in the 2020 elections. Here's more from Pritzker. Quote, I'm not getting involved at this point in the Democratic primary for president, but certainly in the general election, I'm going to work hard for whoever that nominee is. All right, I hear, here. We all will be uh, supporting that nominee, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, we're really curious what his views are on frozen pizza as a vegetable. Oh, you know, ever since that <laughs> Klobuchar moment, I'm me as well. Move all the other issues aside, that frozen pizza one. 
All right, no more stalling. JB, you're in the hot seat, buddy. It's time for our JB Pritzker 100-day gubernatorial performance review. Mm. Ben, grab a notebook. All right. First, we'll cover Pritzker's performance thus far as a public figure. Mm. Well, now, this may not be true after our current president's tenure, but it's always important for a governor to present himself well with the public. Yes. You know? Here, here. And we can already tell you this. Compared to the last governor, boy, that new guy is way better. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Right, Governor Bruce Rauner. That's right. Oh, so he's got that going for him. Yeah. Illinois Politico reported that Pritzker and his wife, MK, entertain regularly. Mm. They've hosted dinner parties and cocktail hours for Democrats and Republicans alike. Okay. Have I been, Have good. you been invited to any of those? Oh, never. Miles, have you been invited to any of those? Oh. Maya, you've been invited. Come on, JB. Invite Miles and Maya, all right? Uh-oh. Sounds like maybe uh, <laughs> losing some points on that performance review. Yeah. <laughs> and get this. On Wednesday, Pritzker is known. On Wednesdays, I'm sorry. Pritzker is known to invite groups of of lawmakers for an evening away from the state house. Oh, hello. Where do they go? Oh, <laughs> say, I don't know. So add that plus the fancy suits and sweater vest and winter fleeces he wears all the time. I must say, a way better look for a governor than those Carhartt coats. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! And people have been saying that uh, JB's a pretty approachable dude thus far. Ben. Uh, that's what Martwick told us. Yeah, Remember that? Rob yeah. Martwick said that. So, Ben. What grade are we going to give J.B. Pritzker well, I for grade, his public figure performance? All right, I'm grading on a curve here, which means I'm taking into consideration uh, the, the grade I would give the previous uh, governor who is thoroughly unlikable. This is, by the way, more advice for Lori Lightfoot. You don't have to be unlikable as a pu- public figure. There's a certain amount of, even when you put the policies aside, there's a certain likability factor uh, that plays a role in just inspiring people's confidence uh, in, a, in a, a leader. So I'm going to give him an A minus on oh. uh, on this uh, issue of just presenting himself to the public, being a likable character. Uh, definitely, again, I'm grading on a curve compared to the last guy. All right. A minus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For public uh, figure a performance. That's good. It, it would good, be an A, except I, I want to be tough. Okay? All right. Tough. Now, <laughs> now let's take a look at what policies Mr. Pritzker has promised. Policies. And compare that to what uh, he's accomplished in his first 100 days. We'll mm. call this category Policies and Promises. All right. How about that? Okay. We have a quote from Governor Pritzker. He said this yesterday in his Illinois political interview. Quote, I promise to think big. And I've executed on that and am living up to that commitment, Pritzker said Monday. Yeah, we'll be the judge of that, buddy. (laughs) First up, promise number one, it's minimum wage. In February, J.B. Pritzker signed a bill that will set Illinois' minimum wage on a path to reach $15 an hour by 2025. Yeah, I mean, I give him, listen, again, if I'm on a curve, it's an A compared to Rauner, who was like, felt we should go backwards in time and not have a minimum wage. But what at 15 by 2025? I mean, fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty-five—that's that's not a lot of money. But you know, I mean, better than Router. I'm going to give him a B minus on that one. Okay. Well, we're, we got to give the full overall. Oh, okay. oh, my God, this is tough. <laughs> individuals. On to promise number two. Maya, by the way, is going to be a lot tougher than me. I can see this one coming right now. She's ready to give him a D. <laughs> promise number two: Pritzker's graduated income tax plan. And trust us, our conservative friends here in Illinois have been talking about it for. All 100 days of Pritzker's gubernatorial run. Pritzker expects to have the votes he'll need to get the pillar of his revenue plan passed by May 31st. Quote from Pritzker, he said here, quote, we're on track to do that, hinting it will be a vote on party lines. Democrats believe in standing up for working families. Opponents, meanwhile, want to delay it and defeat it, but they don't have their own solution to the state's fiscal challenge. 
So you can't do nothing. All right, give him an incomplete on that. We still have to see where he's going with this. I like the fact that he's in the game and he's proposing it, but we have the, the, the showdown vote is ahead, so it's a little too early to give him a grade. And finally, promise number three, legal recreational marijuana. <laughs> well, first of all, we're 10 years late on this, by the way. 20 years late on well, it. Well, it only took a week after being elected for Pritzker to double, uh, double down on legal recreational reefer use in Illinois. And once again, our conservative friends have been raising a little hell ever since Pritzker uh, seems very confident that this is going to pass. Pritzker says he welcomes the resolution calling for lawmakers to slow down uh, legislation to legalize recreational marijuana. The message he says is that people want to be heard, and he expects there are working groups in place to help answer questions about the tax rate, homegrown limitations, and the method by which to exonerate people or commute their sentences under prior marijuana laws. Pritzker said he expects his revenue proposals will pass by May 31st when the legislative session ends. That includes passage of the progressive income tax and legalization of recreational marijuana and sports betting. All right, listen, we'll uh, hold off again until I see it pass. I like the fact that he's for it, uh, the legalization of marijuana. Uh, and uh, again, it's 20, 30 years a little late. It's not J.P. Pritzker's fault, but uh, what, what, just what an outrage, in my humble opinion, that we waged a war on drugs against something like marijuana. How many people were locked up? How much money was wasted? How many communities were devastated and destroyed? Shame on all of us uh, for allowing this to go on for so many years. So, Ben Jarofsky, when it comes to policy and promise performance from J.B. Pritzker, what grade uh, does the I'm, governor get in his first 100 oh, days? Well, you, you add it all up, and that's roughly a C plus, B minus. He's saying the right things. I got to see the delivery. All right. So, with our two uh, categories, Categories there. An you, overall grade. An overall. Well, if you give them the again, if it's on a, a curve, it's a, a. If uh, you add them up together, it's just flat out. Give them a B. Solid B. A solid B. Okay, solid B. JB. Hence the name. Right. JB. Oh wow! I, I wow. <laughs> yeah, man. Pritzker, I know you're a big fan of the show, so hope, hopefully that uh, that's not too bad, right? B. Yeah. He never listens. Well, yeah, let's see what Jacob Kaplan has to say when he comes in the studio. But just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago, and just like that. You'll now have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. What? That Rocky Words, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and Rocky Sylvester Stallone. All agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take another petty cash. We'll be right back after this. there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. 
Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are back. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times in the studio with me, Ace Reader Writer. Man, people have been waiting for my She wasn't here uh, last week. You were doing an interview, right? Yeah, I had some. I was busy working on a story, so uh, I couldn't make it last week. <laughs> uh, just guilt tripped me there. Okay, <laughs> uh, she was busy working on a story. She couldn't be here last week. People were going, "Where's Maya?" Well, she's right here, right now. So before we move on, I promised the people you would weigh in and give JB Pritzker uh, some sort of grade, or you know, your just a general feeling if if you don't believe in grades. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give him an the- incomplete. I told I'll you give she's him an incomplete. I mean, look, uh, let's 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 see some of this stuff uh, actually brought to fruition. Um, I feel like it's a little too early to rest on his laurels. And you're totally right that this whole thing with the minimum wage, while commendable, like by twenty, what is it, twenty twenty three, twenty twenty five? I think it's twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. So yeah. that's uh, six what years. What is fifteen dollars going to be worth? In 16 years from now. Yeah. I mean, six, six years, years from, from now. now. Like, it's, it's the, the goal, the goal is for people to have a living wage. Do you know what it's, what it would be like to live on minimum wage for six more years if you're working full time in a minimum wage job? That's six years. That's like half of your children's schooling. Mm-hmm. That's like the time that your children go through elementary and most of middle school. Like, that's, that's like a lifetime. Six years is a lifetime that can change someone's life in irrevocable ways if they're living in poverty. Yeah. So, you know, well, yes, gets, great, but like this is not this is this is not enough. This right. is not enough and not soon enough. Well, this gets into a we'll be talking about this later, I know, uh, undoubtedly we get into our talk about the presidential campaign and the, what the Democrats are doing. But you're right. In, in many ways Democrats sort of um, in order to compromise and make themselves look reasonable uh, to get something passed will dilute the program that the you know like the rank and file really wants it's just I, this is just the reality of being a democrat uh in yeah. a country where the, the, the discussion is so far to the right i mean a child a child who's st- in kindergarten this year who just started school they will be living not at the living wage level for six more years and by the time we get to 2025, that li- that $15 an hour is no longer going to be the living wage. So we're essentially not doing anything to get people onto a level of a, of a living wage if they're working a minimum wage job. And yet, if we hadn't done that, it would be still at 875. Yeah, it would be worse. It would be worse. But yeah. it's just like, I just, you know, I think that we have to keep things in perspective. Like yep. this is, this is putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. So. All right. Let's, uh, so incomplete to JB Pritzker. Come on, JB, keep working. Poor guy he says he gets up at four o'clock in the morning every day. I saw that in the interview with Tina Svantel. That's the thing that struck me four in the morning. You know what? I feel like everyone who reaches a certain level of success claimed that and Honestly, uh, I don't know. I think maybe you're just you're, when you're working on a certain level in business or politics or whatever. Maybe you're just so stressed out that you can't sleep anymore. But I don't know. I'm yeah. always suspicious when people are, you know, bragging about how little they sleep. 
She has I, a point. It's always the same time, too. Four, four, four in the morning. morning. It's yeah. always four in the morning. <laughs> always. You know, yeah. I, I'm with you. Okay, I know we have many pressing things on the Maya agenda, but I am with you 100% on this. First of all, many nights, I only I don't go to bed until four in the morning. Like Lately, I've been reading Robert Carroll's book. That's a whole other discussion. I'm utterly obsessed with Robert. Oh, yeah. His That's like goals. It's, it's just... So here I am, four <laughs> in the morning. My idol. I know. Robert Carroll. Let's take a moment to say thank you, Robert Carroll, for everything you do. The great investigative journalist. Done, uh, his work on uh, Robert Moses is unbelievable. The power broker. But anyway, uh, so... But I wasn't going to tell you that I go to bed at four. I don't, I'm not going to say, well, then I wake up at five and uh, you start running i mean you know but known to sleep in a little bit uh, also like why why are you getting up at four like does he have sleep apnea does he have insomnia like that stuff affects your health that stuff affects your performance on the job like should we be concerned our governor is getting up at four o'clock in the morning I, I, that's that's a good point but there's also sort of like this guilt oh my god this is a favorite topic of mine like people like no, try to people make you, feel you are not a better person because you get up early in the morning that doesn't make you a better person Say that again one more time. It doesn't make you a better person to get up at 4 o'clock in Thank the morning. Thank you. Thank you. It just makes you a sleepier person and then maybe make you more dangerous. By the way, we got to get some Maya t-shirts. I'm always talking about Ramana t-shirts. We need some Maya I'm every Tuesday I'm in the bedroom. I'm on it. All right, let's get those Maya t-shirts out there. Doesn't make you a better person. with you 100%. Um, all right, quick Maya uh, update on the automatic. Uh, I think automatic races are officially yes. over. Correct? As of last Thursday, the results are finally tallied. Everything is now official. Uh, so those three races that we were watching that were still sort of on the fence, the 5th Ward, 33rd Ward, and 46th Ward, we have our official winners. So in the 5th Ward, Southside, uh, Leslie Harrison has hung out hung on to her seat um she won by uh more than 100 maybe even more than 200 votes it was it was for an alder manning race quite a big margin then in the 33rd ward rosana rodriguez sanchez uh bested deb mel by 13 votes mm. in the end um and in the 46th ward uh so the 33rd ward by the way for those who may not be oriented it's northwest side area avalon park i mean um uh avondale and albany park that's right and then 46 ward uptown and east lakeview area incumbent james kappelman also hung on to a seat over challenger marianne lalonde and he won by 25 votes wow so once Mm. again people as i've been saying all along it's uh the these elections are really truly ones in which every vote matters um so yeah, that's all right. Now before we move on, I have to ask you this: We had Carlos on Carlos Ramirez Rosa from the 35th Ward. Uh, he, in fact, he's a bonus feature. Don't listen to him now, but after today's show, download a very uh, extensive interview with him. Uh, and uh, he was predicting. He, I think he was just being optimistic mm-hmm. that there would be a new day ahead in the Chicago City Council uh, where it would be uh, more uh, progressive, liberal, whatever you want to call them. Uh, aldermen, democratic socialists, uh, more like a Bernie Sanders types, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was being optimistic. Uh, Do you share his optimism? Yeah. um, I just hope that uh, these energized newcomers are going to actually like uh, engage in, in actual, you know, debate and not be afraid to push back on the mayor, which I'm optimistic about them being able to do because, uh, Lori Lightfoot isn't wielding the kind of kingmaker financial uh, connections that Mayor Rahm did. Um, I think that opposing her is not going to be as much of a political um, risk 
as a port opposing mayor Rahm was like i mean Rahm was putting 20 30 40 thousand dollars into some of these aldermanic races um i don't think that you know in four years i mean maybe i'm wrong but i just don't imagine Lori lightfoot having that kind of money to put behind candidates who are on her good side so hopefully those dynamics will shake out in such a way that people aren't afraid to really challenge her on things they might disagree with but also i hope that i mean and this was always true but like this is this is what mcdunkey our 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 friend and colleague uh always hammers down on is like our legislators don't do much legislating so nothing is stopping any of these aldermen from championing some citywide issues that they want to introduce legislation on Mm -hmm. so uh what i what i'm looking forward to seeing is whether or not some of these newcomers are going to actually you know get to the business of what they're elected for which is not just to you know get people awnings and change sidewalks and you know get get signs up on local businesses uh but and issue liquor licenses or whatever like but it's but it's also you know pushing for some legislation that that can can that can affect you know the whole city and and can push us in a good direction well you're you're actually moving into a topic that i just uh, addressed uh, it, it hasn't come out yet in the reader. We'll talk about it, the whole issue of automated prerogative, what it means uh, and uh, what it means, how it's being used politically at the at the moment. But I just before we get to that, I, there's something uh, embedded in what you said. There's an underlying assumption. And, and you were saying, and I'm paraphrasing of that you're hoping that the six new uh, Democratic Socialist uh, aldermen, uh, will not uh, throw away their ideals and values uh, when it comes to confronting uh, Lori Lightfoot, but will push on for them. Uh, that The underlying assumption is that Lori Lightfoot herself does not share those progressive values and that they will have to challenge her. Are, do you have uh, confidence, any confidence whatsoever that Lori Lightfoot will be a progressive? Uh, I mean, I think she made pretty clear, like uh, right now, it's hard to we don't have a lot of new data points but essentially like she showed a lot of cards about the kind of uh person she is and what her values are during the campaign so i think it is safe to say that she doesn't some of these six dsa backed uh aldermen are not going to be on the same page with her about a lot of about about a lot of things but there's plenty of people in city council who are sort of like more moderate um and who i think would be generally be predisposed to to be allied with her and what i was saying about how like you know what whether these six folks are going to push back on on Lori lightfoot i mean i would say that extends to the whole council like i like my point was just that it's not an excuse to rubber stamp to, to rubber stamp vote with Mayor Rom just because he finances your campaigns, which is what has been happening for eight years. But my hope is that the fact that Lori Lightfoot is uh, it's very unlikely that she's going to have the kind of financial clout that Rom did, that mm-hmm. she's going to be able to dole out 20, 30, 40 thousand dollars to re-election campaigns of incumbents who are going to rubber stamp with her. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope that that motivates some of these aldermen to actually you know grow a spine and (laughs) engage in a real way in debate and discussion and not be afraid to vote no on things they disagree with or that their constituents are you know pushing them to disagree with all right and one thing i cannot let escape uh you were weren't here last week so we sort of missed a discussion with you about how laurie treated uh, the Lincoln Yards and 78 Mega Tiff deals. I was. The way that Amy Klobuchar treated lunchroom pizza. 
Whoa, I love that transition. I'm not quite sure I see it, but go ahead. I mean, just just like not, you know, not not really taking a stance. I mean, calling for a delay and then saying, well, the votes are there. That's like all of it is just dancing around the point of like, like, will you say if pizza should be included, frozen pizza should be in school lunches or not? Like, what? Like, how hard is that to take a stance on? Like. She's a, like, if you're a parent, do you want your child eating frozen pizza for lunch? Like, you, if you can't take a stance on something like that, especially when it's something that you kind of have this, like, you don't, you may not have, like, a lot of direct control over, not taking a stance on it is, is like, pretty cowardly, I think. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't impressed with the way that uh, Lori just sort of, um, you know rhetoric her way around that issue well i've been um, under siege from Lori lifewood fans since i wrote a column oh, last week wow <laughs> congratulations i'm i'm so shocked and they're very upset with me at the moment because uh i was profoundly disappointed and i expressed that disappointment uh in her reluctant her inability uh, to confront that central issue uh, about how we're raising taxes to underwrite uh, a wealthy development in an upscale neighborhood at the time when we have these pressing financial issues. I don't understand how a mayor who just got elected with 75% of the vote does not claim a mandate to take a, a stand, a strong stand on issues that she ran on. And the the conventional wisdom, follow me in this, Maya. We didn't have this conversation last week, so it's good we have it now. The conventional wisdom in Chicago is that she would have lost the vote, so don't take the stand because you're worse from having t- losing, taking a strong stand and losing. I don't buy that at all. I'm just c- curious what your thoughts about the conventional wisdom in Chicago is. Yeah, I don't buy that at all. I don't even, I mean, it's, uh, wait, what? I don't, I, I actually, say that again. Okay, what I'll, is the risk for the, her to take a stand against because the conventional wisdom, I'm now expressing, don't get mad at the messenger. This is the, I'm just con- expressing the conventional wisdom, yeah. doing my best to paraphrase it as strongly as, as I can, is that if she takes a strong stand uh, against the, the handout for Lincoln Yards in 78, mm-hmm. and then the council votes for it anyway, she will have lost and she will look weak and she will be entering office. What? I, to who? What? Okay. <laughs> I mean, wait, this that, is the conventional like, wisdom looking, that governs Chicago. I mean, I don't know. I think you just uh, looking weak by like, I don't know. I don't, I don't you see. It's like very hard for me. You're asking me to comment on something. I have, I, I just, it's very hard for me to relate to people who view these decisions in this way. Like I am just a person in the city. Like I am whatever. I'm a reporter, but I'm also just like a constituent who, when I look at how my elected officials are, are acting, like, I'm not like, like when, uh, when there's a divided vote on something the mayor wants and it doesn't pass unanimously, I don't see that as like, oh, like the mayor's weak. I mean, I see that as like an expression of people not being with this idea, which makes you think, oh, like maybe this idea the mayor's pushing isn't so great. Maybe I should think about this more and look into it and figure out what's going on. Because if there's not a unanimous vote, that means that there's something contentious about this. This is why it was so important for Rom to have these unanimous votes, because I think it further pushes the snowball down the hill that there's nothing to worry about. Everything is fine. Everybody's all okay with everything. Everything's 100 percent cool. Like what? I don't know. If if you're if you're a mayor and you're like really trying to 
a new mayor trying to stake out uh, a position and, and ground different from your predecessor. I don't know what could look stronger than saying, like, no, this is a bad idea, I, despite however many votes there are for it. I completely agree. Not only that, if you stake out a position in opposition to the main one that Mayor Rahm and his council allies are opposing, you will force the mainstream media to address uh, the uh, the extra specifics of the debate. They'll have mm-hmm. to present your argument, they'll have to present Rahm's argument, and there's a chance that the larger public might be you know, learn something like I know I sound naive saying this, but democracy might work. We have an open yeah. discussion about uh, this enormous expenditure that we're now uh, we've now approved. The city council's approved. But if if Lori Lightfoot had stood up and said, no, I'm against this. and I want you to vote against it. And here's why. Then they would have forced an analysis. The other side would have had to counter her. There would have been a, a, yeah. a, a debate in the city of Chicago. Instead, by punning, by not confronting the issue, she allowed this matter to roll through. We didn't have a debate and it makes me wonder if she even has an analysis like i understand the sort of uh, you know spokesman whatever the the communications gamesmanship around like tiptoeing around this but i also just i don't know i'm i don't know if she actually has an analysis what this is part of like what i'm so curious about her um what is her like how does she think about these issues like what is her yes she okay she's a progressive blah 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 but being a progressive progressive and running on a platform of like increased government transparency and saying things like chicago belongs to everyone and blah 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 like all of this is just it's like it's 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 just like words it's like messaging it's communications right it's like very different from uh, like having a fundamental analysis of power of wealth of of uh you know of of access to uh you know to to to, to the decision making that happens in the city and just her met everything she's put out since she's been elected like i does not clearly communicate to me what her analysis of issues is like rom you know rom before before he got elected we had a long public record and a long history and kind of an oral history of who this guy was and fundamentally how he views the world Mm -hmm. that he you know how he sees winning and losing how he sees you know what being a team player means how he sees power right Mm -hmm. we don't have any of that about Lori, and like none of this her stances on all these issues since she's been elected, like everything she's put out, like doesn't illuminate for me anything more about those fundamental issues about her. Right. We're going to have to see this as it unfolds. Now, first step of the way, one of the first issues, and this is a a transition along the lines of what you're saying, where you say you craft certain messages uh, to sort of (laughs) send a narrative out or send a word for you out. It's very reassuring to people has to do with the issue of automatic prerogative. I just wrote about this. This is on my mind um i believe that this is largely the way it's being expressed right now in the city of chicago a fraudulent issue it's not at the top of the list uh automated prerogative the notion that an alderman is uh has the final say over zoning or his in his or her ward first of all isn't even completely true because the mayor will override uh if he wants to or in this case if she wants to and uh secondly it's of secondary importance to what you are getting at, which is the fact that aldermen are not uh, embracing and putting forth citywide issues, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, for instance, 
I would love you for, to get your thoughts on this one because uh, you wrote some very critical and important articles about this regarding the way automated prerogative was used to justify killing a deal on the northwest side that would have but 20 affordable housing units. Am yeah, I correct about 30. that? 30, my bad. 30, excuse me, 30. In affordable. a 300-unit building. In a 300. All right, so um, talk about this a little bit. Talk about the issue uh, as it went down on the northwest side. Yeah, so this is like a little bit of a, I feel like this is getting to be a pretty old story now, but essentially um, there was a proposal to build a luxury apartment building in, in near O'Hare, um, near the Cumberland Blue Line stop, um, next to that like Marriott Hotel that's over there now. And this is the 41st Ward, um, Anthony Napolitano's ward. And uh, the idea, the developer wanted to build a 300-unit building with mostly studios and one-bedroom par- apartments, kind of luxury units. And um, they initially were going to have some affordable units on site, but then um, others, they, they were going to pay the opt-out fee on. Mm -hmm. And then over time, they decided that they were going to put all 30 of the required affordable units on site. Um, And there were some aldermen, Alderman Tom Tunney specifically, and uh, some various community groups that were advocating for affordable housing that sort of pushed the developer to include all the 30 units on site. And Alderman Napolitano um, opposed this uh, saying that the, the, his community doesn't want this density. The opposition to this building had its roots directly in, you know, a general swell of anti-affordable housing uh, sentiment on the northwest side in in the spring of I think it was like 2017, and um, basically the like the building in the end that this building needed zoning approval from city council and they did not the developer did not get the zoning approval because alderman napolitano essentially lobbied his fellow council members to vote no because it would have meant bringing you know this type of development that he didn't want that he said his community didn't want into the ward so there was an example of aldermanic prerogative which is that you know the other aldermen respect what it is that the local alderman wants and and vote in the way that he's asking them to or she's asking them to um this was an example of that used to kind of overall hurt the city and even the ward in a certain way because it was not it meant like these 30 units of affordable housing that were badly needed in that ward that had not created any new affordable housing since the aro was passed that, that that those that those units weren't built and now i mean now they're gonna the company's building like an office building on all that right. site because they already had the zoning for wow. it so all right so just think about this they invoked the principle of aldermanic prerogative to justify voting against something the city needs more affordable housing and uh they pick and choose when they're going to invoke that principle when they're going to live by that principle because there are other instances uh like the 78 which just passed the tiff deal on the uh in the south loop where the locally elected alderman uh byron Sixto lopez said i don't want that tiff deal passed and they ignored the principle of aldermanic prerogative so they pick and choose and that's why i'm saying this is so fundamentally chicago uh, Maya. people pick and choose when they're going to play by the principle they live on and then uh like a reformer looks for an easy target says oh automatic prerogative that's the first thing we must address when of course it's not even a real player the real issue here is the city's reluctance to have a wide city-wide uh, approach to affordable housing right yeah 
Wow, we see eye to eye on that one. <laughs> Isn't that great when we see eye to eye on things? Um, but you know, another thing I, I, I'm curious about uh, this whole conversation. I, like I've said this before, and I'm and and I just feel like there's nothing more to add to this, which is that there's nothing is going to happen those, with this aldermanic prerogative that's reliant on what Lori Lightfoot thinks about it. Like this is not this is this is a custom in the legislative branch of our city government. The executive can't do anything about it with her executive orders because. Because this isn't even part of the law. This isn't. This isn't even on paper. Nowhere does it say that a local alderman has actually any say in any zoning decisions. You don't need the alderman's approval to get zoning as a zoning change approved in city council. Uh, it's just a courtesy that the other aldermen that actually sit on the zoning committee give to whoever the local alderman is. So the, when what, the, what when the mayor Lightfoot lets think, them give it to them. Yeah. yeah so the, what Lori Lightfoot says about this is like really not relevant. But why don't we talk about what Lori Lightfoot is actually going to be able to do, which is decide how the executive, first of all, who is running the Chicago Public Schools, for example, who is running the Chicago Housing Authority, and the various different city offices that are that are run by appointees of the city executive. So I think that this is something that is, is like very important that's looming on the horizon. And the story I'm working on this week is actually about the process by which CPS um, removes and fires principals, whether they've committed some kind of wrongdoing, um, uh, when they've just when there's a problem with a principal, how they go about removing um, a principal from a school. So something I didn't really have a firm grasp on before doing the story is that like. So hopefully everyone understands that principals, unlike teachers, they're not unionized. They're they're considered management, so they don't have they don't have a union. They have a professional association, uh, of which Troy Laravier is now the president. But it's it's not like the CTU. So, but nevertheless, principals do have some protections uh, to uh, retain their jobs because since they work for the government, the government can't just take their job away without affording them some due process. Uh, in, in firing them because the principals have a constitutional property right to their pay. So the government can't deprive you of life, liberty, or property without following some kind of due process. So there's a whole process that CPS goes through to fire a principal that, as I find out in the story, uh, which is about uh, the principal of Ogden International School, Michael Beyer, um, some folks might remember uh, he, he was in the news um, back at the end of last year for uh, allegedly uh, falsifying attendance records. And then there was another set of accusations around um, him allegedly sending uh, confidential student and employee information to some people outside of the school who are on the local school council. So this principal uh, has still not been fired. He is still uh, getting paid by the district and he hasn't been fired in part because he's waged this like incredibly complex legal battle against the district uh, because he has some very good lawyers who took his case pro bono, who Mm -hmm. took one look at his case and said, oh my God, like this is insane what the district was trying to do. So his case sort of reveals all the ways in which there was no like written process or rules or anything like that 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 would govern the way that CPS decides to suspend principals without pay because before you can fire them, they you, the district can suspend them without pay, mm-hmm. and it's after they're suspended without pay when they are still employed but they aren't getting paid that a lot of principals resign. And I asked CPS, I was like, well, how many principals have been suspended without pay in the last five years? They they had ten uh, principals 
that they had to suspend without pay. A couple of them even resigned before the suspension decision was issued because they could see the writing on the wall, probably. Um, But what's interesting is that uh, I was I never this issue was never on my radar but in through doing this story I feel like wow like it really matters how principal how the district is able to fire and, fi- and hire and fire principals because that goes t- the principal is like the central figure that creates a climate and an environment in a school and 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 assures the school stability so I'm curious like how how do you explain to people why they should care well, about I'll this? Tell you why, why should people care all right let me this is one of my favorite <laughs> topics you just you, you just plug it in and this gets back to something I was talking about earlier, where um, uh, the Blackhawks owner, Rocky Wirtz, uh, who is of a Republican persuasion, wrote a memo to Lori Lightfoot explaining what he thinks she should do differently. And essentially, the main theme of what she should do differently is be different than Rom mm-hmm. and be open and honest about what's going on uh, in the city and how it's affecting businesses. So let's tr- take that same approach to schools. And essentially what happens with principals in the city of Chicago, it's classic Chicagoese. It's like <laughs> you're told, you're, a principal knows that he or she has to shut up and go along. You're just a cog in a machine. So if the Board of Education says today that all principals have to wear their underwear outside their pants, principals put their underwear outside their pants, and they don't ask about it. If the next day they say, all right, put your underwear on the inside, they put their underwear on the inside. And whatever explanation the Board of Ed gives on Monday, they offer like they're trained puppets. And whatever explanation the Board gives on Tuesday, they offer that. And that is what our principals, that's how they're taught. That goes way back to the 30s, Maya. That's group thing. Troy LaRabia, you just mentioned the head of Chicago Principals Association. I'm a big fan of him because he dared to break away from that. In 2014, he dared to speak out. And what did they do? They fired him. And they trumped up a campaign against him. And they whispered all these rumors about him. And they tried to bring him down because he dared to say, hey, there's no legit logical reason why you tell me I have to wear my underwear on the outside of my pants today just because it's Tuesday. Yeah, and this guy I'm writing about is 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 claiming a similar thing that that he that that the district wanted to get rid of him for a variety of reasons that had nothing to do with his alleged infractions. Um, he's gone through some pretty extreme lengths to prove that the infractions that he allegedly committed he actually didn't commit. So the other th- layer of this is that there was an Office of Inspector General, like Nick Schuler, who's the Inspector General of, of CPS, issued a report uh, alleging that there were this, the, uh, he committed all this attendance fraud. Yeah. But then uh, the principal, through these like v- intense legal maneuvering that he was doing, was able to get an unredacted copy of this report, oh. <laughs> which, which revealed like that there were all of these instances of this fraudulent attendance were were like it was every, nothing things were not so clear clear cut and he found parents who said oh we're referenced in this report nobody ever interviewed us yeah. nobody ever like there so so it calls into question the sort of independence and integrity of the OIG which I, as like a person who's not, I don't have kids in CPS. Like I don't, you know, I'm not like, su- I wouldn't say I'm like super plugged into what's going on with CPS, but in general, I was like, oh my God, like this is a huge deal that we're, that this is raising questions about how the office of inspector general, which is supposed to be independent is and this operating. Is, and people, this is why you should care. And people outside of Chicago, this is why you, you should mm-hmm. care. Because what this says, if you dare to step out of line, they will dig out some dirt on you and they will throw it at you. And they will use that to discredit the message that you're doing. So your message is suddenly diverted by people whispering. And they do that to reporters all the time. Oh, To reporters? W- 
Yeah, no. When, when, when uh, let's say, uh, just throwing this out here, Miles comes out with a statement that says XYZ showing that the city is um, doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. The, the city officials, when the reporters call for comment, they'll go, well, you know, let me tell you about Miles. Did, did you know this? This is off the record, by the way. Yeah. They poison you with like these little details. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying this about Miles. He's a great guy. He does nothing wrong. I'm just using that as an example. Well, but their favorite one is like, do you know he has a drinking problem? Do you know he had a messy divorce? Do you know that this person, you know, plays around? They give you this little like dirt and that poisons the reporters' minds. And when reporters get together and they're drinking, they go, well, so-and-so has right. a drinking problem. Yeah, you don't know. And, and I Some flack told you that. The, the, the other interesting thing is that like because so i think this story had been reported pretty widely by a lot of education reporters in the city we have so many wonderful education reporters and that that cover this very closely but i will say that like the way that this guy's story has been covered is that like oh this guy's responsible for this fraud like this guy's responsible for these for this data breach oig says he did it like this is what's being reported so it's sort of like the perspective of the school district and the oig that gets reported first like that's the news and i came to this story from a completely different situation another reporter who actually also doesn't report about schools told me like hey have you seen what's going on here and so i'm entering it not beginning with cps which i think gave me kind of a different view Always good. Always good. Pretend as though Chicago is like a distant planet and you just you just came to it from nowhere else and suddenly don't accept what they tell you in Chicago. All right. The uh, doctor says we got to take a break. We have uh, Danny P and Jacob Kaplan here. I love them. I guess come early. But you know what? When we, I gotta get Maya's thoughts on uh, on uh, Elizabeth Warren and uh, uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg. So we'll be right and, back. You know, out of all the examples, why'd you pick underwear outside of the pants? I don't know because Woody Allen did that from a movie. I forget what movie. Jacob Kaplan. What was the movie? I think Woody yeah, Allen is canceled. Oh, he doesn't know. I, there's nobody of a generation. Bananas. Woody I Allen believe. is canceled, Ben. You got to find a better, you, a, a, a better example. Do I have to? It's sort of like the whole Michael Jackson thing. Do I have to just like pretend I don't like Michael Jackson music? Anyway, we'll be right back with Maya on Pete Buttigieg right after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 23rd is just moments away. But before we get into hour number two, people, we need to thank the following unions for helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First off, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky 
Jodorowsky Show. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, April 23rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Maya Dukmasova in studio, and we welcome to our brand new digs, the Illinois political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. And now your host, also an Illinois political know-it-all. It's, a, it's insane. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Always loved having Jacob Kaplan and Danny P. in the studio with me in the old show. And it's great to have them back uh, on the new show. I want them to be carefully listening uh, to what Maya has to say. We're going to do a little, uh, we're going to take a little detour. Usually Maya and I talk local politics, uh, uh, not just on this show, but in our uh, podcast with the Reader Backroom Deal, which we'll be bringing back. Uh, we'll be doing more episodes of that. Stay uh, tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, Dr. D will be producing that. Steven wants a Maya t-shirt on the live uh, chat. I want Maya t-shirt. <laughs> all right, somebody, we need a Maya t-shirt and we need a Romana t-shirt, all right? Uh, anyway, we're going to get working on that one. But um, uh, just some early thoughts on you on the uh, presidential race. I am uh, very excited, as I said earlier, uh, that the Democrats are off and having these debates and town hall meetings and articulating their ideas. I've been impressed with some of the earlier Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, some of the things they've said. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has emerged. I think he, the last poll I showed, Maya, was third. Uh, he was, I think he was third. I think uh, Grandpa Joe and Bernie Sanders were one-two. Or maybe it's the other way around. Bernie Sanders was one and Grandpa Joe was number two. And then uh, the baby mayor of Saint, uh, South Bend at 9%. Um, I'm starting to develop thoughts on him and opinions on him. I wonder what your thoughts are uh, on Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I feel like this guy is like some sort of bot produced entity. Like somebody at some kind of supercomputer was sitting and was like, let's get the best Democratic <laughs> Party centrist candidate we can. It's got to be, he's got to check all the identity boxes. So let's make him young and a millennial and also gay. And he's a mayor of a small town. But let's also, you know, make him sound like reasonable and common sense. I'm putting this in scare quotes, you know, yeah. like something that's not too offensive to people. So, uh, you know, I think that the best the best possible take I've seen on him so far uh, has been this incredibly long, eviscerating article in Current Affairs uh, that just, like, digs deep into this this guy's record and specifically in the way that he presents his story in his own autobiography. So this article is so interesting because it really deeply and carefully and closely reads and presents what's in Pete Buttigieg's uh, autobiography, which reveals a person who is just like, I don't know, he, like, I don't, I don't have some, any other word except for a bot. Like, it's just, there's nothing to him. There's no there there. I mean, yes, this guy's like been in Afghanistan and been a Rhodes Scholar and all these other things. But the main point that 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 the writer of that article makes is that is that it he's in it for himself. Like, there's no track record whatsoever that indicates that he actually has something he cares about that he's fighting for, mm-hmm. other than himself. All right. So 
I I'm deeply deeply skeptical of of this of this candidate, and I just in 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 a in a in a field where we have people who are proposing just real 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 policies like real ideas um you know a guy that's talking about you know using data to fix potholes and how he was a Rhodes scholar and just all all of that is just uh it's very suspect all right i have uh no problem i hear exactly what you're saying i have no problem with somebody who is uh uh, putting out uh, his or her background in a way that make get people uh, interested in his or her campaign. So if you were a, a soldier, if you were really smart in college, you put that out. Uh, I, where I start uh, moving, getting concerned is if you're, you're what you're right, if there's no there there. Uh, or if I look at what the there is, it gets me a little nervous, and this brings me to this, get your mm-hmm. reaction to this, and I hope uh, Jacob and Danny are listening as well, because I'm gonna ask them what their reaction to this mm-hmm. is. But this has to do with an, um, an issue that I think is really important for Democrats to embrace, and that is the whole issue of the affordability of higher education, or the affordability of post uh, high school training of any kind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so many of your generation, so many millennials, so many even uh, people in their 40s are saddled with huge debts that stay with them forever because they wanted to go on and get that advanced degree. Yeah. And people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris to a certain degree are advocating specific proposals that would uh, either make college free or help people uh, reduce debt or eliminate debt, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, unpack that. And Buttigieg is, <laughs> is, is trying to take the opposing stand on this. And so he argues, he's giving a philosophical uh, underpinning, a philosophical mm-hmm. reason why he's opposed to eliminating college debt or offering free college that the government would subsidize through its tax dollars. Follow me on this mm-hmm. quote. Mm-hmm. This is from a quote, a speech he gave to college students in Boston from today's New York Times, and I'm quoting, Americans who have a college degree earn more than Americans who do not. As a progressive, this is Buttigieg, as a progressive, I have a hard time getting my head around the idea of a majority who earn less because they didn't go to college subsidizing a minority who earn more because they did. My God, that is like Bruce Rauner rhetoric (laughs) coming out of a guy who's trying to put a progressive spin on it. Right. It's like. Yeah, that's straight from a McKinsey consultant, which is exactly what he was. What do you mean it's straight from McKinsey? Like that logic is is like just straight out of a McKinsey consultancy you know, machine that creates words, rhetoric right, for words, politicians right. to continue doing really bad things in this country, in other countries. I mean, this is why I keep saying to people they need to read that current affairs article. But yeah, I mean, it's like the the idea that it, that the that the, that this debt relief would be subsidized by the poorest Americans who don't have a college degree, rather than by like corporations and really rich people. Like th- it's it's insane. Like that's it's it's just it's just trying to play to the. Trump voters who think that it's going to come out of their pocket if we do this. So it's totally absurd. It's also like it's it's uh, it's incredibly it really shows how out of touch he is with what your typical college graduate graduate with student loan debt 
looks like in America because he is the he, he is the he is the son of two Notre Dame professors who went to Harvard and then to Oxford. Like I'm sure that he doesn't know what the average American who has college you know college debt uh, has student loan debt who has a college education but still is working a minimum wage job what that reality is like so and maybe he does have some idea but he doesn't care because this is all about rhetoric all of this this is this is a this is aimed at people who he's judging is gonna are, are gonna decide this election which is the same people who voted for donald trump before so um so his strategy is to get uh, what da- the proverbial swing voter in virginia yeah. or maryland david axelrod swing voter yeah uh and assume that the danny pokoshelskas the jacob kaplan's the dr d's the miles and the bends are just going to have to vote democrat because they have no choice but we can get that swing voter uh who yeah i don't know i might i can for my kids' education, I don't know why I have to pay for somebody else's. Get right. that person to swing and vote. Right? For it. Yeah, and it's and it's if I, I think this is this is a, a really great illustration of this issue. I saw on Twitter the other day is um, Abigail Disney, who was the granddaughter of Walt Disney's brother and is uh, part of the Disney family, who's also like quite uh, and like a, a prominent philanthropist and has basically pledged to give most of her billions of dollars away over her lifetime um was tweeting about how like was shaming the the corporate leadership of of disney the corporation for taking all of these bonuses from the trump tax cuts rather than raising the wages of the lowest paid workers at disney and she had like a really long tweet thread all about how much it would actually cost the rich people running Disney to redistribute that wealth into higher wages for their lowest paid workers. And it's literally on the order of like, oh, maybe I won't be able to buy a third boat. Maybe I won't be able to buy a second jet. Like maybe my salary, my like over $100 million salary is, you know, $10 million less this year. So it's, it's it, all of this has to be kept in perspective. Any kind of like large social, wear, social welfare policies in this country can only come at the expense of the rich because that's where most of the money is. Yeah, It's not going to be coming out of people who, out of the pockets of people who didn't go to college. Yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. And he effectively is, I think about it, uh, undercutting what J.B. Pritzker is trying to do here in the state of Illinois by forcing that issue of how we need a more progressive tax to uh, offer college. By the way, why just limit yourself to college degrees? Why not just say job training in general? If, if a kid comes out of co- high school at age 17 or 18 or whatever, and he or she wants to become a mechanic, or he or she wants to, more of a blue collar vocation, why not training for them? Why not pay so they go to, you know, they can go to their local uh, junior college and get the degree or the training they need. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But by concentrating just on college students, you're right. It's like a McKinsey report. Mm-hmm. He's very, very uh, it's, it's very detailed attention. So I, yeah. I'm, I, I, I think we should broaden, as this is, I'm speaking as a progressive, as an FDR, Harold Washington Democrat, uh, I think we should broaden the amount of subsidies we give for to train kids. Yeah, Mayor right. Pete is not the answer. I don't know, guys, he seems pretty charming. <laughs> I mean, I hear all what you're saying, but boy, he's charming. Uh, yeah, he's so sweet. Uh, all right, that is uh, Maya Dukmasova, and it's been always a pleasure talking to her. We let it go a little longer. We got Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshevsky sitting on. We're going to continue uh, probably... Uh, uh, the conversation, some political, uh, national political talk, some local.
local political talk, some state political talk. We got the know-it-alls uh, in the studio. So, Maya, thanks so much for coming. It's always a blast talking to you. See you next week. See you next week. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear right, are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp, that's C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com. To advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. And boy, it's a pleasure to see Jacob and Danny in the studio with me. Uh, they were uh, regulars uh, on my old show before I, uh, what did I get? Oh, I got fired! Yeah. <laughs> get out of here, Ben! Leave! <laughs> uh, but uh, we used to take the deep dive on all the political issues. They these guys are huge political nerds, as am I. Uh, and uh, so, uh, Jacob and Dan, it's great to have you back in our new surrounding, this lovely little studio that the Sun-Times and the Reader and the Unions built for me here. We're going to uh, have to get you some buttons, though. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? You political button. buttons. Oh, political oh. button. Well, I got, I mean, everybody comes in, I asked to bring a button, just like the old one. So the only, the Bernie people gave me their Bernie button with the reefer uh, in the, and then the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, um, Steve Lester, nice. who is the le- head of their union, uh, gave me, I substand, and I do support Chicago. And we just have nowhere to put the buttons. Uh, just... We have no place. Peter Janko, uh, who oh, is yeah, the state central committeeman from mm-hmm. the 14th Congressional, gave yeah. me. And a Lauren Underwood for Congress button. 
nice. I have that. I don't know who gave me that. Somebody gave me that as well. So, um, yeah, we had that tradition of buttons. I need more buttons. Uh, before we bring uh, Jacob and Daniel on, uh, what you got for me, D? Before it gets way nerdy up in here, we got two, <laughs> three updates, all right? all right? Two national, the other local. All right, the last update we had last week on this was uh, that he will announce next week well, sources close to former Vice President Joe Biden said he will make his presidential candidacy announcement via online video Thursday. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We're going to definitely have to have a conversation about that. Slow with burn. Jacob and Dan. Slow burn Biden here. Also, the White House has ordered Trump administration officials not to attend the annual White House Correspondents Dinner on Saturday. Oh, no. Now, remember, Trump did not attend last year, and this year he plans to hold one of those rallies instead at the same time of the dinner. All right, now to our local update here. At an event Monday in Wheaton, Illinois, mm-hmm. former Illinois Lieutenant Governor Evelyn Sanguinetti announced Monday that she intends to run for Congress in 2020 in the 6th District, which is currently represented by freshman Democrat Sean Kasten. Sanguinetti said she wanted wanted to see how things would work out with Caston in office, but she doesn't believe he represents the sixth district. Wait, she was going to wait? It's only like a month. Yeah, hey, wait's <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Lord. No, it's actually been more than a month. I guess you sworn in in January, let's say. So it's been, what, four months? Okay, well, that's that. I saw enough, huh? All right, thank you very much, D, for that update. Uh, all those things we'll uh, talk about with Jacob Kaplan, Executive Director of the Cook County Democratic Party, and Danny P. Uh, Ward operative, political operative, political strategist. Uh, where are you now? I've lost track. You were with uh, my good friend Rob Martwick. That's right. But you're right. not with Martwick anymore. Oh, well, I, listen, I'm, I'll always be with Rob, but okay. um, I work for the Illinois State Treasurer, Michael Ferricks. Ferricks, that's correct. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I just forgot that. But uh, Rob Martwick, by the way, folks, was in the studio on Friday. You can listen to that download of uh, excellent conversation about the fair tax. But don't do that now. Do that after today's show. All right, now, uh, all right. So I got to start with the first thing, obvious thing uh, on the uh, on the table here. Uh, Jacob Kaplan, uh, we have the, since the last time I saw you, there's been a mayor's race in the city of Chicago. Has it really? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, as a uh, as the executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, which is chaired by Tony Preckwinkle, you obviously were on the Tony team. Um, so it didn't work out so well for you. Win and you lose some in uh, politics, Jacob. You know that. You've been on both sides of it. Uh, so general thoughts on the mayoral campaign. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the party wasn't technically involved in, in the race. So on an official capacity, I wasn't involved in Tony's race. But, of course, I was personally supporting her and all my friends and and a lot of political allies were as well. And, you know, we thought that Tony was the best candidate for the job, the most experienced. But the voters chose elsewise. So, mm-hmm. you know, personally, as a Chicagoan and uh, born and raised here and plan to spend my whole life here. I, I'm rooting for Lori to be a great mayor. We need that. It remains to be seen. You know, that's just what happened. I mean, I wish Tony had won, but I'm still rooting for, you know, Lori to succeed in her job. All so. right. Fair enough. That's uh, now in terms of when you look back, I know Monday morning uh, quarterbacking is easy to do. Uh, what might have, in your opinion, the campaign, what might have the campaign done differently? Uh, I don't know if you could, 75 to 25 indicates that there's a, the city wanted some kind of change, uh, but what might the campaign have done differently? What can you know other campaigns learn from what went down with uh, Tony? I think the one thing I would say is that, uh, you know, in the first round when there were, what, 15, how many candidates 14, running? 14, I think, yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, some of us may not have uh, considered Lori as, as much of a threat as she re- really was to win the first round. 
Um, so maybe we could have changed a strategy there in, in the first round and had a different result and be in the runoff against somebody else. Like daily. But, yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure that even if we had changed our strategy, if things would have turned out differently. I think Lori had a groundswell of support, and there is this desire for change, and she was kind of the change agent in this election. So I'm not sure at the end of the day it was it was winnable against her. And I think if anybody else was in a runoff against Lori, I don't know if anybody else could have beat her either. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, what about the strategy? And it'll be really interesting what you see about this one. You and I, we sparred in this one, and so did young Daniel. He was on your side in this one. Uh, the issue of trying to knock uh, your opponent off the ballot with a ballot challenge. I, of course, uh, the libertarian in me feels we should have open ballot a- access. Uh, you, you gentlemen subscribe to the other notion that should be rules and regulations and everybody should play by the rules and regulations. Uh, so, and so in every line, uh, Tony tr- attempted to knock Lori Lightfoot off the ballot, was unsuccessful. She tried to knock Susanna Mendoza off the ballot. She was unsuccessful. Was uh, Dorothy Brown? She succeeded with yes. Dorothy Brown. Uh, and uh, so do you have any second thoughts about the strategy of trying to knock somebody off the ballot? And young Daniel, uh, you'll be half forced to answer this question as well. I'll start with you, Jacob. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I do, if somebody doesn't follow the rules and, you know, you can change the rules, these signature requirements can be changed. Maybe there'll be legislation to do that down the road. But as it is now, I think any candidate takes looks at, at their opponent's petitions. And if they think they have a good challenge, they'll try to kick them off the ballot. So I don't, I don't have any regrets, personally, the fact that the campaign decided to try that and, and was successful with one of the candidates. I think, you know, anybody in the same position who's running a a serious race would take a look at that and, and potentially do the same thing. Now, I'm with you though. I think some of the signature requirements of things may be a little bit, you know, too far and, and outlandish. So I'm I'm not against reform in terms of the signature process, but as it is now, you just have to play by the rules as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if if I understood you correctly, are you advocating for having no rules to get on the ballot? Uh, yes, I've been advocating that so, for so years. Have, so, so unlimited. Five hundred people run. Yes, five hundred people. I believe uh, to uh, circumvent. Just I'll throw this out there. Um, I'm actually toying with having the idea of having open borders. Oh my God! Uh-oh. <laughs> Get Trump! <open. laughs> Trump's going to tweet Jim after Trump's you. Trump's tweeting yeah. after me. I'm, there's a, I have an inner libertarian, uh, Dan, that that comes out every now and then, uh, and uh, so. But I, I, I've had this argument with Ricky Hendon many times, my old friend Ricky Hendon, uh, and uh, if you pay a. a, a modest fee to get on a ballot. I think that would uh, take away um, some of the uh, candidates who, you know, would clutter up a ballot that don't really want to pay. And then Ricky completely comes back and counters, and you got to give Ricky credit because he knows this stuff, that, well, some uh, well-to-do candidate would just pay the money to have as many people on. Uh, so, yep, there there you go. That There's a problem. But, yeah, so feel free to counter that. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I'd like to point out is you know, sociologists talk about the paradox of choice, right? Uh, This past mayoral election, I believe we hadn't seen in almost, if not over a hundred years, another mayoral field that was this crowded, Mm -hmm. right? And what I wanted to point out is that many analysts, political analysts said that because of the fact that you had so many choices, it led to a record low turnout. And this is something that you can look up in, in sociology. Uh, there's a great TED talk with Barry Swartz actually, he talks about the paradox of choice. When you have just a dizzying amount of choices, how you just can't make a decision and people will say, I'm out. It's one of the reasons why in corporations, for example, a McDonald's menu doesn't have an infinite amount of choices or when you go to Starbucks, because when there's too much choice, people cannot figure that out. So what if that's the case, right? And you 
get intimidated by a ballot of 500 or 5,000 people, people that are gonna be looking at ways to try to game the system because whatever the rules are, people are looking at how it can best serve their interests. So if you were to have this <laughs> dramatic, because you're talking about no rules, right? Yeah, I just, and, and, and so the only fun. fair way yeah. to try to whittle that down is uh -huh. to have rules, yeah. to try to make them not as, as, as least as possible to do with your economic status, right? And so if you have, well, hey, listen, you have to have this many signatures. It's not about the example that you had given was about money. Well, uh -huh. I think that that's something that hobbles people who, who aren't able to raise as much money and that favors the wealthy. So if you have a system which says, okay, these are the rules. In effect, this only allows people that are serious about their race uh -huh. um, to get in on this. I think that that's, if you're asking which of these two um, solutions you'd want, I think this is far better and more equitable. All right, well, let me just say this about the paradox of choice, which is a great uh, uh, phrase. I will say this, young man. I will counter your point with this point. You're right. There were 14 people in that first runoff. And, and that, 14 in the first or there more? I think there were 14 when it was all said and done okay. because they knocked a couple people off the ballot. Let's say there were 20. Let's just throw the number 20 out there. Right now we have, I believe, 17 or 18 candidates running for president mm -hmm. of the United States in the Democratic primary. I'm keeping a running tab because Seth Moulton just announced. Yeah. All right. Now, so let's just say there were 30. I'm going to take the 14 and make it 30. All right. <laughs> Even running for really, president? Or no, running it in the Democratic primary in the first round. Oh, for president. Uh, for yeah, president. Uh, no, my bad. Running for mayor in that first round. There were 14. Okay. But for your sake of your argument, let's say there were 50. The turnout was 35 to 36%. If the paradox of choice is such a prevailing trend in how people vote, why, young Daniel, did the full turnout fall in the uh, runoff when there were just two people running. Uh, you may address that question now. Sure, so you could have where people didn't like the choices that were made, right? Um, but all I'm simply stating, right? And I'm, By it's way, not that like- completely undercuts the paradox of choice. <laughs> no, what you're saying is that people want more choice. There's a sweet spot, and so I, I encourage people to, to to read about this. This is some, as I said, for example, Barry Schwartz. Um, with um, there's a great TED talk on this, and this is something that people that are specialists in the field and other political analysts had talked about. One of the things that they had seen that would have that tampered down turnout in the first round was because of the fact that we had. So All right, let me people. ask you this. Uh, there's uh, other factors. Eric Zorn's the only uh, factor. Uh, idea to have rank voting. Eric Zorn's columnist for the Chicago Tribune has articulated a couple times uh, that, that we in Chicago should move toward a system of ranked voting. What's your, do, you, do you both know what ranked voting yeah, is? Yeah. It's you know, where you essentially get to rank the, uh, your choice. They use it in Maine. They use it in Maine. Yeah. I think they use it in parts of California as well, some places. What's your thoughts about that, Jacob Kaplan? Uh, I'm, I'm open to the idea. I, I'm, I like those sorts of, uh, I think we should try new things. And I think it is working well in Maine. I think we had one of the Democratic Congress people who won there that, that beat a Republican through ranked choice voting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, the one thing I don't like is in California where they have these jungle primaries mm -hmm. where anybody, where there's no party primary and everybody runs in the same, you know, and then it's always a runoff between two Democrats. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. 
I think actually, Ben, you and I probably agree on this. Don't you agree that uh, mayoral races should go back to being partisan? Absolutely. The By the way, yeah. and this is where you guys <laughs> can flail away at me. I wrote a column on this very topic about the, what do they call them, the jungle, uh, jungle primaries, primaries where yeah. everybody just runs and there's no party and it's whoever the top two is. That's when I wrote the article, we, man, they need a Michael Madigan in the Democratic Party in California to bring some kind of order to the chaos. There I was advocating. Yeah. The libertarian in me went out the window. <laughs> in other words... That flag is flapping. One way it goes this way, one way it goes that way. But I do like that notion of rank voting. Daniel, what's your thoughts uh, on rank no, voting? No, I concur. In fact, one of the things that I personally have have advocated for, I know Jacob as well, is to restore when we had cumulative voting for the state legislature. Oh, Pat Quinn. Where are you, Pat Quinn? Uh, yeah, I mean, something like that, it... it like Jacob had said, these very innovative systems that we had, it, we had it for over a century, I think it was the 1872 Constitution, where we had implemented that, and only kind of going to the most uh, base instincts <laughs> of, of voters who are just disliked politicians to to put the current system we have in. I was talking to a, a, a very shrewd political op observer about the concept of rank voting and how it works, where you rank your choices. And then uh, so uh, ultimately the person who gets the most, like the highest rankings uh, will prevail. And uh, <laughs> this roots, this is Chicago, the conniving mind of a Chicago political operator. Nobody in this studio, by the way, uh, came up <laughs> with this one. But uh, this person said to me, can I put all my rankings behind one vote? Which, of course, completely yeah. undercuts the whole point of ranked voting. But it, I'm like, man, you are such a Chicagoan. You're already trying to connive and cut around and sneak in. And anyway, that's, I guess, what we do in Chicago. All right, let's put that to the side. Uh, any interesting, uh, like moving aside from the... Um, uh, the mayoral race. Uh, any interesting uh, ward races that you saw that you th uh, that you think warrant discussing, Young Daniel? Yeah, so I think actually one of the ward races that perhaps one of the most interesting ones was the 30th ward race. So 30th ward was where you had the daughter of uh, Congressman Luis Gutierrez, mm -hmm. Jessica Washington Gutierrez, running against Ariel Reboiris, who has been the longtime alderman there. He was tied in with the Hispanic uh, Democratic Organization, going back to Daly, have been appointed. And Isn't he the committeeman? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is the committeeman. Yeah, but, Democratic committeeman. Um, it's not, at least from, 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 the, from my estimation, a, a strong Democratic organization. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Gutierrez, who is a canny political operator, um, saw uh, saw a place that he could try to get his daughter in, right? Mm -hmm. That's also a long-esteemed Chicago town. <laughs> <laughs> but usually they get him appointed. You know, you don't run for it. Well, yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna have her get appointed if the man doesn't want to leave, right? Very good point. And I must bow to that with the wisdom embedded there. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so um, from the, just the political chatter that you had, like, hey, what's going on in these different races? This is something that was very interesting. Uh, you'd had at a, a very early point on from, you know, when polls are, people talk about polling, that Gutierrez was at least 20 points up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people that I had heard from even the mayor's camp who had been supposedly behind Reboiris or like supporting him since he had been a steadfast ally, ally of the mayor, mm -hmm. had said, oh yeah, that, you know, guy's got to throw in the towel. He's gonna, he's gonna lose bad. We're with him, but he's gonna lose bad. Yeah. And then what happened on election yeah, night? I was wrong. I was one of the many well, people who were wrong. But this is the thing. And so I, 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 so. I, I, I had mentioned this. I'm like, 
you know, if he does pull it through. So Roboiris was a, a very interesting, um, a, a very interesting character in that when he, his appointment was at the midst of a um, conflict that happened with Thirtieth Ward. I don't remember over the last remap, the, the not the last remap, but the remap before that, um, where. In the year 2000, I think he was appointed in 2004, if mm. I remember correctly, um, there was a lawsuit because the area of the Polish village in Avondale mm -hmm. was going to be partitioned. Yeah. And finally, there was a, a kind of coming together of the lawsuit, which said, okay, well, we'll at least put this core of that area in the 30th Ward. Mm -hmm. And Ariel Robertus was appointed, and from the beginning, what Ariel had done is reached out to the Polish community, in fact, to such a degree that um, a lot of these rank-and-file folks in a ward which was um, had a significant Polish population, then in the second remap, where the Polish community really came in a huge way um, to, the, to the extent of, um, <laughs> I remember uh, alderman, uh, former alderman Richard F. Mel actually cussed at me, and he said, God, <laughs> You know, I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't cuss here. But um, okay. he's like, "Gosh darn it!" You can't. I've never seen actually. So it's many. a podcast. You can't. It's not radio well, anymore. You should hear the mouth of Monroe Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Well, this is this is what we, we did. The, we did a whole what, show on the Bogoyevich tapes, by the way, and there was so much cussing going on in those. Nice. We played this, the this tapes. Is, this is yeah, from, from, from Richard F. Mel's own mouth. God damn it! I've never seen so many goddamn fucking Polacks in my life, and I say that as a Polish American, right? I can say that, right? Yes, Sorry. you can. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, because you know whether it was like on the south side or at Malcolm X College, you just had a whole bunch of Polish folks who were very adamant that this all remained that Belmont Avenue corridor in one word. It was even an article about this in the New Republic. Yeah, no, that, uh, that is what. So what you're saying is that very astute move by uh, Ariel Robois, who gave him credit, 30th yeah. Ward Democratic Committeeman, 30th Ward Alderman was able to defeat Luis Gutierrez's daughter, uh, Jessica Washington Gutierrez, by virtue of reaching out to the Polish-American well, community. That's Chicago politics, the good yeah. Chicago it, politics. It, yeah. it certainly is. And so the thing is, and I said this to Jake, I'm like, if he pulls it out, this is going to be why. And so if you're doing polling, right, mm -hmm. of course, you're, it's a Latino ward. Oh, hey, we're going to have pollsters who speak Spanish. Hey, Americans. But the kind of like ironclad support that he had there got him over the top. And uh, I think that's actually very interesting. And also um, one of the things uh, is how it's going to portend in the next remap. Because, for example, um, in the last remap, you had, wow, of course, remaps. he's not with us anymore. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's still in office, but nowhere to be found. Danny Solis had copied her boy risk <laughs> with, with the Chinese community. Yes. he did. Oh, and, so, yeah. and so he brought the Chinese community. Chinese-American, yeah. 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 And so this is going to be one of those interesting things to see how... Uh, no, Danny Solis, the, the alderman of the 25th Ward Committeeman, and we're really in the weeds here, but he <laughs> he won uh, his last at least two elections, uh, re-elections as alderman by virtue of a strong support uh, from Chinese American voters in the Chinatown community. It's and I, I would I think in 2011 he actually lost the Hispanic vote. So yes, you're right. It, it's an old Chicago tradition. Goes back to the uh, Ed Kelly days. Mayor Ed Kelly of the 30s who built the machine of seeing blocks of ethnic groups and successfully reaching out to those mm -hmm. ethnic groups. Generally, it's the Irish Americans who've been so successful at this, Jacob Kaplan. You're a historian of Chicago politics. You know what I'm talking about. Generally, it's the Irish Americans who do this. Here, Rebroyas, a Hispanic American, you know, reaching out and getting Polish people to vote for him to undercut Luis Gutierrez's daughters. I gotta say, it's a pretty good, smart move. It is a smart move, and uh, that was one of the, again, surprises of election night, I'd say, because I don't think anybody was... 
predicting that Ariel would pull it out. Another surprise, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this, but I just didn't uh, didn't predict that we'd end up with a six-member Democratic Socialist Caucus in the city council, which is going to be a really interesting dynamic to see how that works with the new mayor. We had Carlos Ramirez Rosa on the show. Uh, he, by the way, again, downloaded, listened to it. But after today's show, uh, fascinating conversation of where he thinks the city council will go with these lefty types that the Ben, I call them Ben Jarofsky Democrat types. Yeah. Uh, and God bless every single one of them. Good luck to them. Uh, in dealing with entrenched interests in the city of Chicago. But uh, yes, that was a success. Now, have to ask you this, uh, shifting away from Chicago a little bit, Jacob Kaplan, your thoughts on uh, what De- Dennis was just talking about, former Lieutenant Governor Evelyn Sanguinetti, who was Bruce Rauner's uh, Lieutenant Governor for four years of that disaster, uh, has decided that four months is uh, <laughs> enough time for her uh, to dis- de- decide that Sean Kasson, in her opinion, warrants being defeated. It's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, she might have given him like, you know, I don't know, a year or so. Uh, my guess is that she had already decided she was going to run from the minute she lost uh, the reelection in November of 2018. But what she's doing is she's trying to put uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez's head on Sean Kasson's body and running effectively her campaign. She's running against AOC. She's not really running against Sean Kasson. What's your thoughts about how successful that will be as a strategy? Well, number one, Evelyn who? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no disrespect, but... Sounds uh, like spaghetti or something. Uh, <laughs> oh, sanguinetti. Yeah. The uh, lieutenant governor's office is not exactly the most high-profile uh, office. At least it has not historically been. So mm-hmm. she doesn't... I, I doubt her name ID, even in the 6th Congressional District, is over 10%, if it even is, is even that high. Uh, so, I mean, but we knew the fact, you know, when Sean Caston and Lauren Underwood won, that the, the Republicans are going to come after them immediately, two years later. It's not not a surprise. Um, so I'm not surprised that Evelyn chose to jump in, and we've got all these names uh, swirling around Lauren Underwood as well, including some great uh, also rands like Jim Oberweiss, which I'm sure <laughs> that's who Lauren is just begging to run. The perfect <laughs> opponent for Please her. run. Yes. Uh, but I, I personally, I think certainly in the 2020, it seems to me that it's going to be a good Democratic year. I, at least I'd knock on wood, right? Uh, I think it could even be a better Democratic year than 2018, because this time Trump is going to be on the ballot, and that should really get a lot more Democrats fired up. So I don't know that this is the time that you're going to be able to take out these two new freshman Democratic congresspeople you know, in the, uh, in, in the suburbs. Uh, I'm sure that the strategy is going to be nationwide. Anytime you have these suburban districts to try to portray the Democrats as too liberal, too socialist, using AOC and things like that. But I just... I question how effective that's going to be. And on some of her other positions, I think Evelyn's very anti-choice, and that's going to be a huge issue in the 6th Congressional District. That's a very pro-choice district, and that's one of the reasons why Sean won. So I think it's going to be tough for her to... And also climate change. If you recall, uh, Roscombe was a little weak on the whole notion of climate change. Uh, But the strategy to to depict... uh, AOC, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez of the Boogeyman, is a shift uh, in the past... Uh, we talked about this when you were on the old show. They, it was Nancy Pelosi. So now that it seems as though uh, they're moving from Nancy Pelosi to AOC, Dan. I mean, first off, the way that I see this race is called the Hail Mary Pass. You know, that's that's it's like, what are we going to do in this district? Well, we have someone who has a profile, Evelyn Sanguinetti, who at the same time can't be tied to Trump. Mm-hmm. And this gets back to your question about why not Nancy Pelosi. So this is a district that voted majority for Hillary Clinton. That um, with Donald Trump on the ballot, the last thing you want is like, oh, we are so against Donald Trump that we will even 
change our partisan preference from Republican to Democrat because they're so disgusted by Trump. At this point, if your biggest fear is Donald Trump, you're not gonna wanna say like, oh, Nancy Pelosi, she's too radical because she's the person who's kept Donald in check, especially when it came to a lot of his excesses. So that's that'd be really highlighting you know, your opponent's strengths, which is the last thing you wanna do in a messaging battle like this. And so that's why you think AOC, because what they're hoping for is buyer's remorse from these people who had switched from voting Republican to Democratic. Mm -hmm. All right, now let me uh, ask you this. Um, if I think about it in terms of uh, you personalize the opposition, so clearly, like you're saying, Dan, uh, the Republicans have decided that Nancy Pelosi is not as effective uh, demon to run against, so they're now substituted AOC, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, for her. And by the way, they're probably going to bring in Representative Omar pretty soon. That that sure. card has not been played yet. Uh, and the Democrats have Donald Trump. So in your humble opinion, in, a, in one of these proverbial David Axelrod swing districts, these suburban districts that are so important to uh, deciding who the next president is or which way Congress will go, Republican or Democrat, who do you think is a more disliked uh, political figure, uh, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez or Donald Trump? Trump, without a doubt. Yeah. And uh, I, I, in, again, unless the, the, the whole scene changes in the next year or so, I just see 2020 being... A great Democratic year, especially in a state like Illinois and in the suburbs of Chicago, you know, I think whoever the Democratic nominee is, there's going to be a huge turnout to, you know, get rid of Trump and back this candidate, and that's going to also work down ballot and reelect these Democratic Congress people, and hopefully elect a new Democrat in districts like downstate against uh, Rodney Davis, where hopefully uh, Betsy Dirk Dirksen Lundgren will take that seat. Is she going to run again? She's running again. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're going right at it. Well, yeah, that's she like, almost won. She yeah. almost won. Like Marie Newman. There's a uh, interpartial uh, party battle heading. It wasn't even on my list to talk about, mm -hmm. but since you mentioned it, Marie Newman versus uh, Daniel Bulpinski in the what is it? The third congressional district, southwest mm -hmm. side of Chicago, southwest suburbs. What's your thoughts on the, uh, that race, uh, Jacob? Early, uh, Ted, do you, do, you, do you think Newman will prevail this time, or do you think it's too close to tell? What's your thoughts? Well, now there's a third candidate in the race, uh, so I'm not sure how that's going to play into things if he ends up on the ballot as well, and I'm blanking on his name right now. A, a young feller. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. See, that's where we need ballot challenges, okay? Well, I'm just I'm, kidding. Dan. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure, actually, probably, if there's one person who wants to get him off the ballot, be Marie Newman. I yeah. Yes. would say that is true. Yes. So, uh, you know, last time around, Marie almost beat Dan Lipinski. Very close. And, and uh, I was thinking at that time, I'm like, in 2020, with, you know, even more attention on, on uh, de the Democratic primary and an open primary for president, I'm like, Marie's going to win. But if it's a multi-candidate field, it's more questionable. But if it's one-on-one, -on -one, I think she wins. All right. Do you think Democrats... Uh it should be worried uh, about countering uh, the attacks on Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. I happen to be a big fan of Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. By the way, one more time, urge everybody to see Knock Down the House, a documentary about her victory in the 2018 New York primary. But going back to the proverbial swing voters in the suburban districts, do you think Democratic strategists should figure out a way to counter that? Uh, or should they just ignore it and pound away at Donald Trump? Either one of you first. And then the uh, other. I think it depends on the district. Yeah, that's, you know, you look at what district this is. You know, I think with, uh, for example, oh, man, is it Abby Spamberger, right? The former CIA operative who's in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I think she, was it Barbara Comstock that she beat? 
Uh, I think you're correct on yeah. that one. But uh, And so, you know, that's a very different district in, in Northern Virginia than if you're talking about any of these districts that we're talking about in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so it all depends on who is voting in your district and how you can bring that coalition together. So in other words, it's completely dependent on the district itself. Yeah, and I think overall, if you were to poll most Democrats, I think most of them are, are they really anti-Green New Deal or the idea of that climate change is a big thing we need to deal with? Or are they really anti-Medicare for all? I, you know, I, I think these are popular issues to begin with. So I don't think, I, I mean, I know they're trying to portray AOC as being too radical and socialist and all that, but I'm not sure if you actually look at the issues and just present them to Democratic voters, I think they're for a lot of these things. Well, yeah. that, that break, oh, were you going to say something, Dan? Yeah, actually, further to that point, uh, you guys got a chance to watch Bernie Sanders' I was town just, hall yes, at Fox just, News. I mean, for the top one percent, then the bottom ninety-two percent, forty-nine percent of all new income goes to the top one percent. <laughs> that Bernie Sanders, yeah. yes, good yeah. job, Dennis. Yeah, uh, you, 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 you can't have the situation continue um, for. I can't for. I can't see how it can continue where the Republicans keep on walloping their electorate economically because you know a lot of poor folks they're voting republican these days this is not the days of the reagan republican party where the libertarians were uh, who had, have taken control of so much of the economic policy of that party um, were able to to wall up the lower class and working class these are now people who are their voters and i think that that if there was a canary in the coal mine that was it even Trump's response, I think, shows how he was afraid. He had to resort to being like, oh, crazy Bernie, this is weird, yeah. seeing him on Fox News. The the folks that were in the office, the, the audience that were prepared, I'm sure vetted, all of a sudden are booing you know, Brett Baer. Um, you had earlier, uh, I'm sure you guys have, have heard about this, where um, Tucker Carlson, who's talking about like, screw this all, I'm gonna go vote for Elizabeth Warren, and just saying like, you know, we have to save capitalism from itself and just go, you know, as left as we can. And uh, this is this is something that's that, that's all part of this. Well, so often in the past, Democrats have run away uh, from these progressive uh, ideas and uh, programs and proposals that Bernie, the Bernie Sanders of the party have espoused. Do you believe that in 2020, Democrats will embrace them? Like when when we. It was a Danny. I with you 100. Uh, percent When I heard the crowd cheer Bernie Sanders at that uh, Fox Town Hall when he he said we need Medicare for all, and uh, I was like, this is first thought was that he had packed the audience. I I still kind of think that, but whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too cynical. But do you think uh, Jacob Kaplan that the Democratic Party is ready to sort of embrace the progressive ideals and values and themes of its uh, left the left spectrum? I hope so, and I think we're we're closer to that than we've ever been in recent history. I mean, look at the fact that it's not just Bernie saying these things now. You have Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and a lot of other top-ranked nominees that are for a lot of these things. So it's not like it's just Bernie on his own against Hillary, and it's like a clear thing. It's like where a lot of the top nominees are are for, you know, much more progressive policies. So I, I think it's moving in that direction, and I'm sure there's certainly some in the party that think we need to be more moderate. But I think overall, 
the consensus is that these this is where the le- electorate is. Well, when you heard uh, you you gentlemen were sitting in the room and Maya and I were talking about uh, uh, Mayor Pete from South Bend and his uh, denunciation of uh, a publicly financed college uh, tuition. Um, and he was giving his quote unquote principal reason for it that it would be uh, on people who don't have a college degree subsidizing the education of people who do have a degree, which is an interesting interpretation to put it mildly. Uh, do you think that is uh, will prevail with the Democratic electorate? That kind of notion that somehow or other you're taking from someone, and if you give somebody, uh, if you have a public subsidy for public education. So you have where there is a faction within the Democratic Party that that will echo that. We've seen that. But it's to be determined because there's so many people that are not just on our side of the aisle, but also on the other side who have who have gone further to the left. I don't know if I'm just trying to find the exact name of the person, but one of the Trump surrogates actually during the health care debate had said, Trump, go single payer, scrap Obamacare. No, he should have gone single payer. Mm-hmm. I he should but, have but, gone but, single. But, I said that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but this is the thing, right? Yeah. You're not a person who's out there stumping for Donald Trump. Yeah, definitely. Even Donald Trump. There have been articles that have come out. That Donald Trump's love with single payer. Now, obviously, he's a man. He's already, you know, tied himself, and so he's he's all about trying to to undermine single payer because Bernie Sanders is with it. But there, he's been waffling, and because he senses how within his own electorate, there are people who are like, yeah, Medicare for all, this is a great idea. And so... No, if Donald it, Trump's willing to denounce the FBI and to denounce the Justice Department and denounce the law enforcement officials of this country to, uh, to deter them from investigating his dealings with Putin, if he's willing to go that extreme, he should be willing to go extreme in terms of pr- uh, supporting Medicare for all. I would welcome Donald Trump supporting Medicare for all. But it's, it's curious, you know, the extreme points of views he picks and chooses to adopt it one uh, yeah he'll go after the fbi when it comes to saving his own skin but he's not interested in in uh saving. by the way i think uh one of the people that's been really key that people haven't really talked about and really having uh, solidified donald trump with that libertarian wing of the party is mike pence say that again so when donald trump was first elected you yeah. know he's He's a person who's all about himself. Yeah. And so I'd say that the person who really has been working on Trump to really adopt those establishment Republican policies, like if there's been a key person, I would argue that it's been Mike Pence. I would say argue that Mike Pence has been pushing him to the right on things like uh, abortion or uh, gay rights or, uh, you know, uh, those kind of social issues. I don't think that anybody had to teach Donald Trump that was in his best interest to have a regressive tax that made poorer people pay more of the burden. Do you follow what I'm just telling you? Or to get a handout. Donald Trump's been getting handouts from (laughs) since the get-go. So uh, First from his parents. uh, Yes, first from his parents. All right, so we have uh, Jake. Jacob Kaplan, Dan Pogoshelsky in the studio. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to ask them the impeachment question. Do you think the Democrats should push for Donald Trump's impeachment? We're right back with the political know-it-alls. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand-new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. 
Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. I love that music. That's super cool music. And by the way, uh, Jacob Kaplan, Danny Pogoshelsky in the studio with me. Uh, that's Jacob on uh, keyboards and right. Danny playing organ there. Uh, man, not only do they know their politics, they can play some smooth music. <laughs> <laughs> They're a couple smooth operators, Dave. Multi-talented. Multi-talented. <laughs> Several hats on the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. All right, before I force them to take that tough issue of impeachment, no ducking and dodging, Danny. All right. Uh, what you got for me, D? You got an update? You know, maybe it's a coincidence, but all of our guests are really good at piano. <laughs> Isn't that even Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, wow. who's a bass player? Man, wow. he can play the key. All of them. I That's know. very yeah, interesting. Sergio Mims, all they're all good. <laughs> no, uh, you were talking about the impeachment question. Should uh, Donald Trump be impeached? Well, uh, that question was asked uh, during Kamala Harris's town hall last all night. Right. One of five town halls. Right. Good God, there were so many last night. But uh, we decided to cover the few candidates that we hadn't touched on on the show. Uh, so we did Kamala Harris. Mayor Pete, how do you pronounce that last name again, Ben? Uh, booty. <laughs> <laughs> Shake your booty. That's good stuff. And uh, Amy Klobuchar, yeah, we did Frozen Pizza Gate. But no, let's go back to uh, Kamala Harris here. Here's Ka- uh, Kamala on Trump. I think we have very good reason to believe that there is an investigation that has been conducted which has produced evidence that tells us that this president and his administration engaged in obstruction of justice, I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment. But I want to say this, because it doesn't end there. I also want to say this. Um, I'm also a realist. And when I look at what has been happening over the two years and some months that I've been in the United States Senate, I have also witnessed folks in the United States Congress, and in particular in the GOP, who have been presented with many reasons to push back against this president, and they have not. And when we look at the impeachment process, there will be what happens in the House and an investigation that takes place. I think we can be pretty sure that it looks like that is, is very likely to happen. And then it's going to go over to the Senate. And in the House, there needs to be a vote by a majority, a simple majority, and then it's going to come over to the Senate. And I've not seen any evidence 
since I've been in the United States Senate, that the United States Senate and the Republicans hold a majority, I've not seen any evidence to suggest that they will weigh on the facts instead of on partisan adherence to, to being protective of this president. And that's what concerns me and what will be the eventual outcome. So we have to be realistic about what might be the end result, but that doesn't mean the process should not take hold. All right, Kamala Harris, uh, Senator from California, former federal prosecutor herself. Jacob Kaplan, should the Democrats move toward impeaching President Trump? Uh, I agree with the senator 100%. I think yes. I think that uh, Mueller laid out that the obstruction of justice charge has to be taken up by Congress. So I think we should, and we'll see what happens. But I don't think, you know, it's interesting to see some of these nominees dodge this question. But so Warren and Harris are the only two to say that we should so far, right? Uh, I think Bernie said. Bernie. Bernie, I I think Bernie said it. Don't quote me anybody, but I think Bernie said it. Uh, Joe Lockhart, who was a former press secretary uh, to, I believe, Obama, or maybe it was Clinton. It could have been Clinton. I'm getting my uh, Dems mixed up. Uh, Wrote an essay in today's New York Times urging Democrats not to do this on the grounds. I'm going to do my best to paraphrase Joe Lockhart's argument uh, that you will fail, as uh, Kamala Harris pointing out, that eventually, yes, you can. And impeachment is an indictment. But to get that final vote to effectively convict and remove from office, you need a Senate uh, to vote. And you do not have the votes in the Senate. You will fail. And by failing, this is so classic. Joe Lockhart must be from Chicago. Uh, The notion is you don't take a fight because if you lose it because it's bad to lose is you always must win even if you don't like the outcome of winning but anyway if you fail you make them that much stronger jacob kaplan's your thought on that theory i mean that's the same the democrats always try to argue this sort of thing and, and it's but i think at some point you know the congress was elected to stand up and be an independent branch of government and investigate the president when when uh when when it's needed. So they're not doing their job if they don't do this. I, it's just, it's the basics of separation of powers and our constitutional system of government. And if that's not important, then then what is? That's my opinion. Daniel? Uh, I'm, I'm not sold on whether whether we should proceed at this point. I think that concentrating, uh, concentrating on the election at hand is the biggest thing because the last thing that I would want to see is say like, oh, we impeached him and then we lose his real, uh, the, the, um, we lose the opportunity to thwart his reelection, because that's the most important thing. Is that, let's say that if, um, if for example, we impeach Donald Trump, it's unsuccessful, and this helps reelect him. I think that would be the worst scenario. At this point, we're in the middle of 2019, mm-hmm. and that's that's where I stand. Well, there, this gets into the uh, the notion uh, that if you uh, lose an impeachment fight, uh, you're weaker. Uh, an argument could be made that if you have an impeachment fight, uh, that if you present the evidence to uh, the voters of America of what Donald Trump has done, and you listen to their uh, feeble rebuttals as to what he's done, where they try to turn the, the tables on the attackers, as opposed to dealing with these very serious evidence of, of, of collusion with Russians and obstructing justice, that you will lose. That somehow or other, uh, your proverbial swing voter that we're so concerned about in Minnesota would go, this is unfair to Donald John Trump. Yes, he did collude with Putin, but so what? It's unfair. Well, they believe that he colluded with Putin? Well, that 
Not, not if they watch Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> so you're hoping that your proverbial swing voter in Minnesota is not just listening to whatever they say uh, on Fox News and they're watching the evidence it's safe. I mean, but so what I'm saying to you, uh, asking you is, do you think that uh, it's a losing strategy for Democrats to try to present the truth as to what went down in 2016? No, I think, again, I think this comes down to some, sometimes you have to put the duty of the office before politics. And it's it's an important thing. You know, that that, again, is important to retain the legi- legitimacy of separation of powers and our constitutional system of government. So I know that politics, of course, plays into it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you just look at it, I think it's an imp- important thing to do. And, and let's say Trump gets impeached, you know, because the House has the votes to impeach him, but not to re- the Senate doesn't have the votes to remove him from office. He's still impeached, you know, so there's still everything's out there. You know, there's there's hearings and everything else. And, and the voters will ultimately make the decision. So I. I just personally, when talking about the values of our country and our democracy, I think it's an important thing to do. All right. Now, Nancy Pelosi, the uh, Speaker of the House, is uh, taking a very, very skillful position. Everybody knows I'm a fan of Nancy Pelosi these days. Uh, and where she's saying, I'm not for impeachment. But uh, while she's saying that, she's doing nothing to impede the movement uh, in the House to actually uh, impeach him. So she's distancing herself very skillfully, in my humble opinion, from this movement that seems to be uh, heading toward impeachment station. Uh, do you approve of that strategy, young Daniel? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's very wise. There's a reason why she is the leader of the House of Democrats. And having seen what happened, in 2000, in uh, with Bill Clinton, I think that on the one hand she's hesitant of doing anything that would jeopardize uh, um, electing a Democrat in 2020. But at the same time, well, hey, the Republicans still won in 2000. I well, was except just, they didn't win. They didn't win. Yeah, they won, but they didn't win. Yeah. Much like in 2016, Jacob, right. they won, but they didn't win. But that that actually is a good point because uh, the Joe Lockhart's of the world, when they argue uh, about how. Clinton was more popular after the Republicans failed. Uh, They failed to point out that Clinton's vice president, uh, Al Gore, who ran for president in 2020, had distanced himself from Bill Clinton and uh, felt that probably hurt him in that election. And he had to distance himself from Bill Clinton because of the impeachment effort. You know, because all the evidence of the the right. sordid behavior of Bill Clinton that emerged from that effort tarnished his legacy. Yeah, and who? What's to say the same thing won't happen if Trump is impeached? Is it really? Is that really going to be a good thing for the Republicans overall that the president and leader of their party is impeached? All right, now um, uh, moving to state news. I'll ask this question before we head out. The, let you head out the door. Oh, hey, by the way. It's overtime. Oh, yes, it's overtime on the Ben Jarofsky Show, <laughs> it being a podcast. That was it. Oh, no, I just love this song so much. I thought oh. you were going to do your uh, pro hair meditation. Overtime, overtime. Um, all right, we'll start with you, young Daniel. Uh, Maya and I were talking about this earlier. This uh, There were articles in the paper about J.B. Pritzker's first 100 days in office. You weren't here for this part of the conversation. We were. Uh, Dennis gave us a, uh, an assignment to grade him. Uh, what was that grade you gave him? I believe I gave him a B minus, a B. You know, I'm tiny. You know, if I was grading on a curve, he would have got an A because the other kid in the class, Rauner, is terrible. So if you grade him in contrast to Rauner, he did very well. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, a lot of a couple of incompletes. When we broke down the grade, you know, I said, well, well, I'm waiting to see where we're going, like with the fair tax. Does he have the votes to get that out of the legislature? That's going to be a tough challenge. Uh, legalizing reefer, that's going to be a tough one to get that through. Let's see. So it's kind of uh, holding off there on union issues. Give him an A+. Plus. He's been out, uh, pretty good on union issues, in my humble opinion. Uh, what grade would you give him, uh, Daniel? I'd give him an incomplete. So on the one hand, you have where the student will talk about as a student, right? Mm -hmm. If we're uh, grading him, the effort to get the minimum wage through was extremely quickly. Uh, only a few weeks prior, Phil Murphy, who was the governor of New Jersey, had you know flailed for a year mm -hmm. trying to get that through. Pritzker, on the other hand, was able to get that through, you know, and lickety split. Um, but there's so much that's still on the table, so much legislation. Um, and for Chicagoans trying to get elected school board, that's very important what's going to happen with that. Um, will the governor weigh in? He said that he was for it, if I remember correctly. Yes. And so will he Will he be able to pressure the Senate president, John Cullerton, since the House already passed it, to get that through? Uh, also, you're going to have, after the legislature comes back from spring break, a huge mess of bills, not just the fair tax, but even are they going to be able to get a budget through because there is an insufficient, uh, there isn't enough revenue, right, as proposed. Uh, what, what's going to happen with the pension payments as well, um, marijuana, all these things. And so it, you can give them, an, a, you know, an incomplete, but at least give them props for the for getting the minimum wage through. Jacob? I uh, pretty much have to echo what, what Dan said and what you said. I, I think uh, if you're looking at comparison to Rauner, it's a complete, you know, 180. So I'd give him an A plus. Yeah. But there's still a lot that remains to be uh, completed, and really in the next few weeks we're going to see if the rubber hits the road. I mean, he's his top priorities, whether it's uh, you know the the uh, legalization of marijuana, whether it's the uh, the fair tax is going to be the real test. Mm -hmm. You know, passing a budget, a whole bunch of other legislative issues. There's a lot of people that are wondering. You know, part of his pension proposal seems like it kicks the can down the road again. So there's some grumbling about that. So really, between now and May 31st, it remains to be seen what happens. But so far, when you're talking just as being the chief executive of the, of the state. I think he's done a fantastic job of turning things around, at least, and presenting a new era for, for Illinois. But, you know, it's all the devil's in the details, so to speak. The devil is in the details. Plenty of stuff still on the agenda to talk to you guys about and let you get out the door. But Grandpa Joe, uh, quick question. I have to ask you a Grandpa Joe question. Joe Biden, uh, Dan, do you welcome Joe Biden's entrance into the, the race, or do you think that's going backwards as opposed to forward. Well, I concur with the libertarian in you, which is that we should have as many people running as we can, right? Well done, young Daniel. <laughs> Full well circle. done. Full circle. <laughs> I agree. The more, the better. Well, let's let's see what happens when you know debates happen and see how he does. Wait, what about the paradox of choice? Oh, that went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you're talking about a nation of 325 million having, you know, 20, 20 candidates. candidates. Plus, I think they'll all be able to get the signatures to get on the ballot in Illinois. Uh, yeah, that'll be t I think Joe <laughs> Biden will figure that one out. I think he'll out. figure it yeah, out. I'll yeah. figure that. Uh, it's always a blast talking politics with the know-it-alls, Dan Pogoshelsky and Jacob Kaplan. And one more thing we have to mention here. Oh, man. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We oh, oh, have yeah. to Go mention ahead. this. All right. Our good friend Dan Pogoshelsky on the <laughs> side. And it is that season. It's getting warm out. Okay. We got you. Literally last, uh, the day before Easter, Dan Pogo was officiating the wedding. There you go. go. Dan Pogoshelsky is an ordained minister. He can marry you, <laughs> listeners. That's right. So, Dan, don't worry. We got your back here. I know it's a new show. We, we'll, still, we'll still cover it for you, all right? <laughs> Everybody listen up.
If you and your loved one are looking to tie the knot, well, there's one man for you. His name's Dan Pogoshelski, licensed, ordained minister. So, if you want to get married, the only question you need to ask is, Danny P., Will you marry me? <laughs> Dan Pogoshelski, licensed, ordained minister. Spell that last name for him, buddy. P like Paul, O like orange, G like grape, O like orange, R like rated R, Z like a zebra, E like everybody, L like love, S like Sam, K like kite, and I like an I am. He's never done that before. Wow, he's never done And by the way, <laughs> the R in that name, that last name, always throws me because I it's silent. So I go Pogoshelski, I put the R in, then I go, uh-oh, there's an R in there. <laughs> Anyway, the guy named Jarofsky should not complain about complicated <laughs> names. Excellent job loving hearing that. I want to thank Dan. I want to thank Jacob. Maya was outstanding. I want to thank Miles, who is our uh, office editor, for doing the great job he always does. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Give yourself a raise, Dr. D. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, And hey, downloaders, you know we live stream the program? Yeah, it's true. Tuesday through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, the same website, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. Join us, won't you?